Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 20 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. On today's show, we are looking back on the year 2020 in general with the help of various different guests looking back at various different companies, each one passing comments on what they enjoy watching, what's been good, bad and indifferent for them. Um, I hope you'll enjoy the show. It's took a fair bit of work getting all these little chats together and editing them uh, and putting the show together for you. Um, If you have any feedback on today's show and the year 2020 in professional wrestling in general uh, please let us know you can contact the show on at sjp wrestling pod on twitter and facebook you can contact me at sjp words on twitter and also you'll be able to find my other show with my awesome co-host mags um, at chain underscore wrestling the chain wrestling show is is great fun to do we're getting lots of interaction on twitter um and so on so yeah i look forward to hearing from everyone on there um i hope you've all had a fantastic christmas a safe christmas i hope everyone is still wearing their masks washing their hands social distancing and everything that is required at the moment in these difficult times But I hope, as safely as possible, you all had a brilliant Christmas. I hope 2020 has been as good for you as it possibly can be, considering the hard circumstances everyone has been facing. Um, And I hope 2021 brings you all much joy and happiness. Um, So all that's left for me to do, really, is say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the first 20 episodes of the podcast. Um, I wish you all and your loved ones a very, very happy new year. Um, And I hope you enjoy the show. And joining me now to discuss Raw, SmackDown and WWE in general over the last 12 months of a view back in 2020, so to speak. We have Ben, also known as Chuck Winchester from the RHS Wrestling Podcast um, and various other projects. Ben, how are we doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you today? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Looking forward to uh, discussing some WWE with your good self and potentially getting educated to what's been going on over the last 12 months. A um, little bit of clarity. I watch the pay-per-views. I very rarely watch Raw and SmackDown, as, as I've explained to you on, on your show a few times in the past. So it's going to be quite interesting hearing, as as it's going to be with other guests and other topics, hearing about certain companies or certain matches or certain moments that I may not be familiar with. Um, so I'm really grateful for you sparing your time to come on and be my, I suppose, my raw and SmackDown expert for the last 12 months, mate. <laughs> well, hey, man, I appreciate you having me back on the show. It's always a blast to be uh, right here at SJP Wrestling. Uh, so huge honor on my part. However, I can't promise I can educate you because even 
I do watch every week, but I'm not sure why WWE does a lot of things that they do. But I can try to help you understand what's going on. Maybe, I guess. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, I suppose we should start with the biggest story, um, not just in wrestling, obviously, but the biggest story in the world in general in 2020. Um, and that would be the whole COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Um, as someone who watches Raw and SmackDown on a regular basis and has followed the product for the last 12 months, how do you think the company has dealt with these these crazy times? Dude, and I honestly think they have done a phenomenal job uh, when it comes to COVID. And I'm the first guy that will just talk massive crap about WWE and the decisions they make. And I'm the first guy to be like, well, that's silly. Uh, but with COVID, I think they've done a great job. They kept the show going. Uh, Vince McMahon is the guy that says the show must go on. You know, that's been his whole mindset since the 80s. And that's delivered. You know, when, when COVID first happened, it happened right around WrestleMania, which is the biggest show of the year. And there's a lot of conjecture going on. Like, you know, are they going to cancel it? Are they not going to cancel it? What's going to happen? They're going to postpone it till after SummerSlam. There's a lot of what ifs, a lot of up in the air things going on. But the show did go on, and they did a lot of scrambling. They changed a lot of things. They turned it into two nights, which, in my opinion, I hope they keep going forward because I love the two-night WrestleMania idea. Um, oh, and oh, you enjoyed that. I mean, I, I was more on the other side of the fence. I'm, I'm not – as weird as it sounds, it, it, for me, it didn't quite work with WrestleMania. But when I watched Wrestle Kingdom from New Japan, it did work for them, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I understand that, too, because I'm the kind of guy I like one night, watch it and be done with it. But at the same time, you know, I work on Monday mornings and I remember the year before that or whatever year it was, I was up till 1 a.m. And again, I'm on the East Coast American side. So I know you on your side of things, you're up till that late anyway, watching WrestleMania every year. Uh, but, you know, one year I was up till 1 a.m. watching. I had to be at work at 7 a.m. I'm like, I just don't have time for this. Uh, but this no, past no. WrestleMania, they were both shows were done by 10 p.m. And to me, that's early. So that was phenomenal, <laughs> you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I like that aspect of it being done earlier in the day. And two nights is kind of, of annoying, but I made an event out of it. And I had a great time watching it because of that fact. So, yeah, I, I did really like that change. And I hope that change continues because who has time to sit there and watch eight hours of wrestling in one sitting without the option to fast forward? Nobody. That is, <laughs> so. that is Yeah, yeah, that, that's a brilliant point. WrestleMania in um, recent years has been quite a slog for us. Um, over here, it starts, uh, here in the UK, it starts uh, midnight. So it runs till five, six in the morning some years. Um, and it's, I mean, I'll, I'll watch wrestling for hours and hours and hours. I find myself struggling come the end of the show. My wife ends up struggling a bit. My daughter is trying to stay up and they're falling asleep in their chairs. Um, so it can be quite a slog. So the shorter... shorter. Pay-per-view, pay-per-view, the shorter um, uh, shows. I, I find it being quite beneficial for me. So like the three-hour pay-per-view. Because it's not just been WrestleMania. The other pay-per-views have been quite short as well since the pandemic started, haven't they? Haven't they? Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the positives to come out of COVID. Because, you know, even with SummerSlam and just TLC even, like they used to run to 11 o'clock, sometimes 11.30. Now it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock. Like now 10.30 is late when it comes to their recording so it's just, or the pay-per-view. So it's just like I, that part I really like. And another thing I thought they did well, because for the first while there, right after COVID hit, they had no audience. So it was very quiet and it was struggling. And then they brought in some NXT guys or whatever, and it still wasn't the best. 
the Thunderdome, in my opinion, was brilliant. And I was the first guy to make fun of the Thunderdome when it was introduced because I think the name is just super silly and stupid. <laughs> but uh, but it did add it did add to it. So now there's you know there's noise, which is good. They they input noise, however they do it. I don't know, but they do now. And they have those monitors, so it feels like there's stuff going on in the background. And and without that, professional wrestling is is tough. And you need that energy to feed off of. You need the audience there. That's part. That's you know that's half of professional wrestling is the audience. So I think the Thunderdome was a great idea. And I, I honestly think WWE evolved very quickly in a time that could have been devastating to the to the business. No, I agree. I agree. Um, watching WrestleMania in the performance center it was a case of they did the best they could with what they had i guess but even now with no fans actually present um the thunderdome i agree absolutely brilliant it's, it's an incredible visual the, the the noise and having the faces around it it almost feels like having a proper crowd there i suppose is the closest they can get to that if you go back and watch clips of um uh, we'll, we'll use wrestlemania as an example in the performance center with no one there it feels even weirder now because we've gone to the before uh, to the um thunderdome if that makes sense it seems so strange and i really feel for for drew mcintyre winning the title and, and beating brock the way he did uh, and just being able to just look into a camera and that was all he had no crowd interaction nothing and so on i really felt for the guy yeah he he did kind of get screwed out of his moment so that was how many years in the making? 18 years in the making at that point, because I think he debuted right around 2002 in WWE originally. So that was a long, long time to get there. And he finally did it. He had all of the support in the world and then no audience. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it also makes his reign more rememberable because he is, as of right now, the only WWE superstar to win the belt in a crowdless environment. And people remember remember that. Uh, so... Maybe at the end of the day, maybe it was good because he's going to be more remembered for that fact and his name will live longer because of it, if that makes sense. No, I understand. Yeah. And again, it's maybe it's not an ideal situation, but it is, again, a unique visual. It's a different scenario to what we're used to, isn't it? It, it may be not in a positive manner, but it's something different. So when you, I suppose when you watch the recap video packages they do that'll probably stand out more than maybe others because it will stand out because of the situation that the world is currently in or was in at that point um so then i mean obviously with regards to wwe there's the two main brands that, that you and i are going to discuss now um raw and smackdown if, if you had to pick one or the other which do you think has performed better in the last in the last 12 months Smackdown all day long. Not even a question. I've been preaching that on my show, RSH. I've been preaching to anybody that I've talked to about wrestling. Smackdown has been the better show for a long time. And uh, 2020 was was no different. Because I don't even watch these shows live anymore. I don't have time to sit there for three hours on, on Monday and then Friday night, the same thing. So I watch them you know, during the day when I'm off work or whatever. And I find myself fast-forwarding a lot of Raw. I... Uh, I don't fast forward SmackDown <laughs> for the most part. So just by that standard alone, SmackDown is clearly the better show if I'm not fast forwarding it like I am Raw. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, okay, so we'll start with Raw then, I guess, seeing as it's the 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 lesser of the two, I suppose. 
Um, have there been any particular performers or moments or pay-per-views or anything worth mentioning in the last 12 months from Raw? Is there anything that has stood out to you or has it all just been a, a waste of time, really? I mean, the thing we've already touched on it, but Drew McIntyre winning the belt was huge. That was a huge Raw moment, and he's delivered very well on Raw. And, and I think Raw has picked it up here in the last month or two. I'm really digging the Drew McIntyre Sheamus interactions and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think Drew McIntyre has carried that show. And I would say the same for Seth Rollins for, for a while there at the beginning. Uh, but his his stuff with Rey Mysterio really, really dragged out and no longer became entertaining once his family became involved, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, Drew McIntyre stands out quite a bit on Raw, in my opinion. I mean, he's just he's huge and he really won me over. I was never a McIntyre fan. And then right around, probably right around a year ago right now, like late 2019, he started kind of drawing on me or whatever. And he's he's ran with that ball all of 2020. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. From what I've seen, um, I, I say I don't watch Raw and SmackDown on a weekly basis. I've seen the odd episode. And of course, you can catch up with moments online, can't you? And you naturally see people discussing things on, on Twitter and, and so on. And then I'm watching the pay-per-views. So I was sort of, sort of kind of half in contact with what's going on, I guess. Yes. Um, um, but, yeah, I agree. Drew McIntyre really has sort of come to the forefront in this last year. Is there anything particularly on Raw that stands out that you think has been a, a, a major diner? Anything you can point at and just be like, why, that was, that was terrible? Uh, the worst storyline, not in just 2020, but I think all of professional wrestling, and this includes every brand, independent brand, whatever, was the uh, Bobby Lashley Lana nonsense. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> that was, I literally, man, almost wanted to stop watching Raw after that was going down. It was so bad and it was nonstop. It lasted for weeks. It felt like months. It's like, what is going on? It's like, this is this, the dumbest storyline and we've seen weddings in WWE. Like we've seen Stephanie and Test. We've seen Triple H and Stephanie. That's weird. Stephanie's been married twice on Raw. And we've seen lots of weddings or whatever. But like Jesus Christ, that was the dullest storyline ever. Bobby Lashley with Lana, who can't even act to save her life. And Bobby Lashley has been boring forever. But thankfully, the hurt business kind of makes him interesting. And then we have Rusev, who's amazing, who just getting his ass beat the entire time. It was very weak. And not only was it weak, it was main eventing Raw. Like, who was staying up to 11 p.m. to watch this, to watch Bobby Lashley massage Lana? I don't, you know what I mean? It's just, it was dumb. It was so bad. And it made me want to stop watching Raw altogether. It was so bad. Very much the, the bad side of sports entertainment, <laughs> uh, you know? not even wrestling it's that's very much a sports entertainment sort of thing isn't it the whole storyline that they were trying to put together there i guess like um, they're jumping no, across to the sorry go on i'm just saying there, there was no end game for it they didn't know what they're doing it just every week it was just something it was the same shit as last week i'm sorry the same crap as last week and there was no like end game feud and then all of a sudden rusev quit so it's just like it was just a waste of time yeah totally totally um, jumping across then to SmackDown, which I see a lot of people having similar opinions to yourself of it being a good show. And the ratings, I suppose, are looking at the numbers in the last couple of weeks have been on their way up. If you if you believe what you read or online. Um, what stands out for you 
as potential good moments or good storylines or or what stands out in the last 12 months that you really sort of enjoyed from the blue brand absolutely um when it comes to current current wrestling um kevin owens has been standing out like none other i've always been a fan of kevin owens and ever since his universal title run uh, when he was in line with chris jericho back in like what 16 2017 um it was He's been phenomenal. But then that happened, and he's come and pushed away for a while. He had a pretty great feud with Shane McMahon, I thought, on SmackDown, which kind of ended abruptly and kind of poorly and still did not get Kevin Owens the uh, the right drive that him and his character deserve. But here in the last couple of weeks, which I know is kind of lame to say because it's just like towards the end of 2020, but I've been really enjoying his feud with Roman Reigns, who has also stepped it up a notch here Reigns is where it recently has been fantastic, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and it was one of those things I was afraid it was too good, and he looked too dominant, and that means there is nobody believable that's going to make this feud keep going. And then they inserted Kevin Owens, who we all, you know, even with TLC last week or two weeks ago now, we all knew Roman Reigns was going to win. But they did so well with Kevin Owens being in this match, saying the things that he says, it's believable, and that match was believable. I mean, there was a few moments where I'm like, well, shit, maybe Kevin Owens, maybe, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think Kevin Owens can do anything with anybody. He is just that good, in my opinion. And 2020, he really stepped up what could be a boring storyline because Reigns, like I said, is just too good, too dominant. He looks the role too well, and it makes every match unbelievable or not interesting because we know what's going to happen. But Kevin Owens is the guy who can make you believe if even if you really don't believe he'll make you believe if that makes sense no i understand i understand um i mean it's interesting with reigns as well isn't it because everyone's wanted this heel persona for such a long time and now we've got it there's no actual crowds there to provide the atmosphere live i guess i'm I'm curious as to whether now we're getting that heel character of Reigns which is I think he's fantastic in this role I wonder if he would be getting the boos that they want or people would maybe start cheering him because it's what people, what people have been after for quite a while yeah that's a tough call um, for a minute there he was getting the John Cena effect where he was getting mm-hmm. booed because he was too good and because he had that, that this boring gimmick and like you said we've all wanted this gimmick for a while but Vince didn't let it happen, and it was just a John Cena effect. He was a good guy, but he's getting booed because he's just a good guy. And now I think you might be honest something with that. He probably would get cheered for being a bad guy. <laughs> so that's where the <laughs> WWE audience is kind of a pain in the butt when it comes to uh, to gimmicks. But I feel like he would get enough boos, especially from the kids, because you know kids are into that kind of stuff. So the adults would probably cheer him still, but the kids, they would boo him. And, you know, WWE likes to filter noise in any way. So on live TV, he'd probably be getting booed. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. As an adult, we all like Roman Reigns as a bad guy. So we're probably going to cheer Roman Reigns as a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's alongside Heyman. Anytime Paul Heyman's on my TV, I'm happy. I think the guy's a fantastic performer. You see Absolutely. the little, little subtleties when, when Reigns or Lesnar or whoever he's been around, CM Punk, um, years previous. If you actually watch Heyman on the outside, just the facial expressions and just little things he does to add to the match. Absolutely love Paul Heyman. Brilliant, brilliant performer. Oh, he's the um, best in the business, man. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, 
a big thing that has uh, happened this year as well, um, I, I suppose as a, a byproduct of the whole COVID-19 issues, mm. is, is the sort of development or the birth of cinematic matches, very much in WWE. We've seen a couple in AEW as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this, and how would you how would you look back on the year that WWE have had with trying different things in this way? Because there's, there's been a few of them with different performers, but almost um, slightly different ways of doing it. Yeah, and I, I'm the guy here. I hate cinematic matches. Hate them. I don't like the idea. I didn't like them before COVID because WWE has done a couple of uh, the Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt comes to mind, uh, you know, pre-COVID cinematic match. I don't like them. I just think they're silly in professional wrestling. You're supposed to have, uh, I mean, there's a certain disbelief when you watch it. Obviously, we all know what's scripted now, yeah, yeah. but that all goes away with cinematic matches. And we know there's no argument, I guess, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to cinematic matches. I just think they're silly. That being said, I really did enjoy the AJ Styles Undertaker match at WrestleMania. I thought that was hard hitting and it looked more like a street fight. There was a lot of annoying cuts, I thought, when it comes to how they produced the match. But overall, it still looked hard hitting and it was still fun, and I really enjoyed it. That being said, the next night with the Firefly Funhouse, hated. Uh, it wasn't a match. It wasn't rememberable. It wasn't funny in my opinion. There's some funny moments, specifically when they made fun of Dean Ambrose with the, this is such good shit comment or whatever. Uh, but like overall, I just didn't, I don't like it. I don't like cinematic matches. There is no, there's no audience, obviously, which you're not going to have, so that takes away a lot of the energy. And I just, I just don't like them. I'm just, I like professional wrestling. I like in the ring matches. I like hardcore matches, like backstage matches. I don't like cinematic visuals because that just looks too fake. And as well as WWE is produced, and they are probably, I mean, they're absolutely the best produced show out there. They're overproduced a lot of times, in my opinion. They can have all the special effects in the world, but it still just looks silly, and I don't like them. And that being said, AEW's uh, that that football. Arena match, I forget what they called it now off the top of my head. I didn't really get into that either. A lot of people Stamp, loved it. Stadium Stampede, is it? That's is, it. Is that right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I didn't like that either. So it's not just me bashing WWE. I just don't like cinematic matches. <laughs> so that being oh, said, no, fair enough. If I get why they tried, and I respect the fact that they tried. They had to do something, you know, and I, I, I'm all about them trying. And like I said, I did not hate the Boneyard match. The title was silly, but I didn't hate the Boneyard match. So there's some hits and there's some misses. And I guess when, I, when it comes to when I say that, I like it. If it looks like a real fight, I like it. If it doesn't, then I don't. And that's what it comes down to, I guess. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, my opinions on the, on the two, I suppose, that were back-to-back at WrestleMania, the, the Boneyard match, I, I enjoyed I'm a big fan of AJ Styles. I'm, I'm a big fan of The Undertaker. And of course, there's you know, motorbikes and Metallica thrown in, which is two big ticks for me. Um, uh, that was that was good. I thought it's it's a good way of giving Taker a send-off, I suppose, if he can't do what he would hope to be able to do in an actual wrestling match. The following night with Cena and, and, and uh, Fiend. Fiend. Yep. I, I enjoyed that, that um, but I enjoyed it because of all the sort of inside smart comments, I guess. Just, right. Um, Manipulative backstage and, and so on. More than what I was actually watching on screen, if that makes sense. And, yep, absolutely. And that's why, you know, my partner on RSH, she loved it for those reasons. A lot of the inside jokes, a lot of the, you know, making fun of John Cena in a lot of ways, making fun of his career. Same with, with Bray Wyatt. 
And I, that's funny. And I, I do get that. But at the same time, in my opinion, it's not a match. And I, I get all the inside jokes. I don't care. I want to watch. I want to watch John Cena put the fiend over in a real match because of how robbed he was at WrestleMania 30. And, and that being said, I, John Cena ruins everything because that match even started with the fiend breaking the fiend's character when the fiend pointed at the WrestleMania sign on SmackDown, the fiend would not point at a WrestleMania sign on SmackDown. That does, that's not his character. And it was just stupid writing in my opinion. And it just led into a match that wasn't a match. And it just doesn't matter. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm probably ranting now, I guess, but like, I'm very, I love the fiend and I love Bray Wyatt and to see him, to see his character not be the way it should be because of John Cena being there annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> so, oh, I understand. So that okay. With regards to the Fiend, um, we're not long off the back of the TLC pay per view. How did you view the end of that with the Fiend and the Inferno match, and in theory Bray Wyatt being murdered live on pay per view? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that. Actually, I've always been a fan of the Inferno matches when I was a kid. My favorite wrestler was Kane, and the Inferno match was kind of his thing. But that being said, every Inferno match always felt a little a little underwhelming because obviously it's fire and you can't actually kill people. And you're in an arena full of people, so you can't have too much fire. So it always felt underwhelming. Well, now they didn't have an audience, so they went all in with this fire. And I thought visually it was awesome. Like, I loved it. The scene where the Fiend yelled and all the fire came out around him I thought was phenomenal. Um, I, I really liked it. And then, you know, I uh, my uh, reality was in disbelief a little bit. So I accept the fact that Randy Orton just murdered the fiend right there on camera and then posed over him. That was phenomenal. I loved it. You know, like it, I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. And the vi- visually, it was awesome. And the fiend really was on fire there for a minute. And that was just cool. Like I remember when Kane was first caught on fire, it was just his hand and he ran away. Well, you actually saw the fiend lit up and then obviously they swapped at the end for you know reasons that make a lot of sense but it still looked really really cool and i really really liked that match and i saw a lot of heat they were getting on like facebook and twitter and stuff but i think people take it took it too seriously and i think it was a lot of fun and visually it kicked ass so i really enjoyed that match yeah ultimately i did too i mean the end i was very much just sat there like what have what have i just seen (laughs) you know it's um they mentioned the, the Boneyard match a few moments ago. I don't know if you saw, but a little while before we started recording today, the WWE Network has put out a list of their 10 best matches of 2020. Um, there's obviously a few NXT matches on there, which we'll, we'll sort of skirt over because I'm covering those with your partner in crime, Josh. Sure. Um, but number one, in the opinion of the WWE Network, I guess, actually is the Boneyard match as being the best match of 2020. Um, I find that a little bit tricky to get on board with, but there we go. I mean, number two is the Hell in the Cell match between Sasha Banks and Bailey. I thought that was an absolutely fantastic encounter. I would agree um, with that. Drew McIntyre turns up a couple of times on, on this list, um, facing Randy Orton in an ambulance match, and Roman Reigns at Survivor Series is, is listed quite high as well. Uh, and we've got a few AJ Styles contests, um, a ladder match he had with Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy. And then AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan from SmackDown is also on the list. Um, but coming in at number nine on this list of top ten matches is uh, one I'm really interested to get your opinion on, considering you watch the product on a weekly basis. 
And that was at WrestleMania between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Um, I remember watching this match and thinking, okay, it maybe went on a few minutes long for my own personal taste. But I enjoyed the contest in general. I'm not sure that the right person won. What were your thoughts on that that particular contest that the WWE Network have listed in the top 10 matches of the year? Oh, I agree with I agree with everything you just said. I agree with the match was phenomenal, and I was always the guy that would just talk crap about the women's wrestling in general because it always felt slow paced and not hard hitting and kind of looked over. And we know with 2020 in general, obviously before that they were starting it and getting it going, but they continued the the good run of the women's wrestling in WWE, and that match was great. I loved it. I I think Rhea Ripley probably should have won. I remember my predictions. I predicted Charlotte because I just know she's not going to lose a whole lot of things <laughs> because of who she is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Ray Ripley really should have won. And they kind of dropped the ball with her character, I think, in 2020 because she could be a believable badass in, in women's wrestling. And and she still may be, but I don't think they're doing as great of a job as they could have. But that match, they tore it down and Ray Ripley proved that she is on that same level as Charlotte Flair and all of the A-listers in WWE when it comes to her brand. So, yeah, I think Ray Ripley was phenomenal in that match, and that match definitely, definitely stands out of WrestleMania 2020. Yeah, okay. Um, so, just very quickly, as we're, as we're sort of drawing to a close here, um, with regards to pay-per-views then over the last 12 months, is there any one or two or a few that sort of stand out to you for the right reasons? Is there an event you look back on and think is the best of the year or maybe a few that you can't decide upon? Uh, I think, honestly, the best match of the year, which this is kind of a cheap thing to say because it's the Royal Rumble match of 2020. I think the Royal Rumble was extremely well booked, especially compared to the last couple of, probably even the decades of, of Royal Rumble. So it's been a little predictable. It's always been the same thing. But this Royal Rumble, which was, you know, pre-COVID, they had Brock Lesnar go the first half of the match just throwing people over. And I don't know oh, if you've played. Absolutely. It was. And, like, you know, we've played these video games growing up. That was probably, I know that was my storyline a lot, have this guy who just can't be eliminated. And it finally came to life to where Brock Lesnar eliminated half of the roster. And then Drew McIntyre, a guy who has been trying to get up there, but he's been mid card or less for a long time finally eliminates him which it was a little predictable i remember he was one of the picks from everybody on on social media and stuff but still it played out super well and then he went on to win it was just a really really good match compared to the last few royal rumble matches and i as that one stands out to me for whatever reason and then you have edge's return which can't be topped because edge is phenomenal sorry aj styles i love you you're my favorite wrestler of all time currently but uh edge was it was so much fun to see edge return in that match which started him and randy orton's feud which probably isn't even done yet and i just i loved all of that match that match stands out to me in 2020 compared to any other thing because of all of the awesome that was in it yeah i think for um if, if I was to, again, I've not watched as, as much of the product as yourself or various other people, but if I was to pick one moment, literally one moment from 2020 under the WWE Raw and SmackDown umbrella, I guess, Edge's return at the Rumble, even though it was the, the polar opposite to where we are in the calendar year, I guess, going back as far as we possibly can, I suppose, in, in a one-year period, Edge's return to me stands out as the best moment of the year. Absolutely. And, I th- and, and, and they still, like... 
I don't know how. I, I not too long ago I said how WWE is the best produced company out there, but they still missed Edge's first spear to Dolph Ziggler in the Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble match at his return. How does that happen? They showed him spear AJ Styles, which was the second spear, but they totally missed Dolph Ziggler. Like they missed Edge's first spear since 2011. What are you doing, WWE camera crew? Like that—that that, that really pissed me off when it happened. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. No, I, I fully get that. I fully get that. Okay. Um. So, uh, missing spears aside, potentially, where would you, where would you sort of put this year in in twenty uh, this year of 2020? for SmackDown and Raw as, as a collective under the WWE bracket or two separate shows, whichever way you want to look at it. Are you thinking that it's been a good year for these companies, a good year for these shows, a bad year? I think How do you great, feel overall? I think it's been a great year, honestly. Um, I was just telling on my show on RSH not too long ago, I was saying this is the first time in a while I've been this invested in storylines. Like we have good things going on right now with SmackDown. Potentially, Big E's going to get a single push with he's he just won the IC title on Friday, so you know Big E might become a big name on SmackDown, which is great. I've loved him for a long time, and New Day has been stale to me. So the fact that Big E might be getting a single run push is is great. Uh, you know, I, like I said earlier, I really like the McIntyre Sheamus stuff. Kevin Owens is back. It looks like Reigns is killing it as as a heel on SmackDown. Uh, both shows are are better than they were a year ago, I would say, both. And that's post-COVID. I think WWE has done a great job figuring that out. And I think, I honestly, I feel like they're getting over their 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 nonsense with just, well, this guy sucks, this guy doesn't, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, we even have Keith Lee. He's starting to step it up. Um, he, I think he's on he's on Raw, I believe. Uh, you know, they're, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these guys are starting to get pushed again or for the first time that they might not have a year or two years or three years ago. I remember 2017 really uh, ticked me off when it was just part-time nonsense and the same people doing the same things. I feel like 2020, they've really let other people, at least they gave them moments or they gave them a shot, it looked like. And there, I still have my aggravations. There's still a lot of guys, I think, who could be, could be better, could be doing more things. Aleister Black comes to mind. Ricochet comes to mind. The fact they're not doing anything really ticks me off. Uh, but that being said... Big E is, Keith Lee is, uh, so there is still hope that we're getting more people doing more things. And I think 2020, that's happened quite a bit than in the past. So I'm okay with WWE in 2020 right now. Great stuff. Okay, well, again, thank you very, very much for taking some time out of your evening today to come on and uh, sort of give us a quick, very, very general look back on the Raw and SmackDown 2020 and um, before i let you go can you just let everybody know where they can find you on social media with your own shows and i believe um i, I well i'm fairly certain i'm correct all, all of your shows have moved from the previous um host i guess to a new website yep absolutely so first of all thank you again so much Cy, for having me on your show i love sjp wrestling i love talking to you about wrestling i feel like i could do it for eight hours straight so again huge honor I to be here Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great it's a great show. And uh, yeah, so we did move. We used to be on AEE.com. Now we have moved to whatthebuzz.com. A lot of the same people, a lot of the same content. It's great stuff. And I, I co-host regularly scheduled hostilities with Josh DeBoard, who you know who's on your show. And uh, 
That show is available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and also on, on whatthebuzz.com. And then also I have another show called Paranormal Activities and another show called Marital Nonsense that I host with my wife, uh, both available on all of the same Apple, Spotify, actually Activities is also on Pandora and Amazon Music. Uh, so yeah, so wherever you get your podcasts, all three shows are available. RSH, Marital Nonsense, Paranormal Activities, take your pick. They're all different. <laughs> and uh, obviously you can follow me on Twitter at the same handles as well. Paranormal Activities, Marital Nonsense, Regularly Scheduled Hostilities. Great stuff. Okay, all that's left for me to do then, Ben, is to wish you and your good lady a very, very happy new year. Thank you once again for your time, and I'll speak to you in 2021, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man, and uh, happy holidays and happy new year to you and your family as well. Thank you very much. I'll speak soon. Cheers. And joining me now on the SJP Wrestling Podcast to have a little look back on the year 2020 in Japan. Uh, we have Comrade Newton of the Chops, Kicks and Near Falls website. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Uh, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, plenty to cover in Japan. Um, and the, the issue I have, I suppose, that I've dropped in your lap is the other guests I'm having on are primarily looking at individual companies in the, in the year 2020, a, sort of a, a general review, a general look back. I've literally dumped a whole country on you. So <laughs> I understand that so I understand we might be skirting around a few things um, a little bit more vaguely and generally than, than if we had more time. But um, when it came to looking at, say, New Japan as an example, um, I instantly thought of your name. I wanted to bring you on the show to discuss it because I've heard you on other podcasts. And I've spoken to you myself in the past. And I just thought you're, you're the guy I want for this, this section of my show, my friend. Yeah, I'm very honoured that you thought of me. Like, it's always kind of cool to talk about, like, we'll talk about wrestling with you in general. But it's awesome to kind of spread the word of New Japan, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Well, I mean, we'll start. Um, I suppose we'll start with the biggest story in the world, as as opposed to literally just the wrestling world, and that is obviously the whole COVID nineteen coronavirus pandemic. Um, how, how has things worked with regards to New Japan? How, how, how have they dealt with the pandemic itself over there? Um, well, I think like New Japan kind of had like quite a, a really strong response to like the pandemic. They um, as soon as the state of um, I think it was around the time the state of emergency was declared in Japan, um, and they took the kind of they made the decision to um, like hold all events. Um, cancelled and they postponed like a lot of their tours so the new japan cup which is traditionally held in march was kind of um was postponed the best of the super juniors was um postponed um which is kind of like their two of their biggest tournaments and like because of the olympics we kind of still had hope that the g1 climax would go ahead as normal um but yeah they had like a really good response um but then so did the to be honest so did the majority of the companies in japan like um be it like empty arena shows and those that did run empty arena shows they had um all the crew and all the wrestlers were tested and as soon as there was one person in contact um with someone like they kind of took precautions and they removed them from the shows um and if there was an outbreak on the roster then they cancelled um especially like with another company that we'll probably dive into later 2aw um i think they had a um a positive test amongst their roster and they cancelled like two or three weeks of shows 
Um, so yeah, it's a really good response, um, and they, they really kind of took a lot of caution. And uh, New Japan have gone, um, I believe, a hundred thousand um, attendees to their events, and that they have had zero cases um, oh, from why? their events. Uh, that's that's pretty spectacular. I mean, I suppose that shows how how um, how professional and how well they dealt with the whole thing in general. I guess. I mean, that's that's great to hear. So so effectively, for a while, certain companies just had a full shutdown then. Mm. Yeah, I think it was kind of beneficial though because, like, especially like with New Japan, especially like the amount of tours that they run a year, and like they, these tours can run from like two weeks to a month, and it's just like the toll on the bodies and like some wrestlers. Um, so like Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's like New Japan's John Cena, basically, mm-hmm. um, has gone twenty years and hasn't really had much of a break. So like that kind of two or three month window was kind of beneficial to a lot of the talent that have had like nagging injuries or. Um, but yeah, it was, it was weird not seeing them, but they put out a lot of content on their um, streaming service, New Japan World, like documentaries and like English content, which was kept a lot of people kind of going in lockdown, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good when companies can do that as well, I mean, especially if they're not running the shows you would normally hope to see throughout the calendar year. Um, just for complete clarity on my part, I watched a great deal of New Japan in the last few years. This year, I've not seen anything since Wrestle Kingdom. Um, a couple of things play into that. One, I cancelled New Japan World when I lost my job due to the whole coronavirus thing. I cut back on as much as I could, bills-wise. Um, and two, obviously, they weren't running shows for a little while themselves, as you explained. So I'm very much going into this whole conversation with you, knowing some of the players, potentially, knowing some of the, the names that you may mention, but with regards to events, matches, and... Uh, the, the product in general i'm very much going in with my eyes closed here so i mean we'll start off i guess with things you thought maybe went well in the last 12 months um any particular matches events or wrestlers who have stood out to you um yeah i'd probably say there's been a f- there's been a fair few that have definitely benefited from the kind of the whole outbreak and the fact that um a lot of like talent were kind of stuck in like their home countries or they'd kind of traveled for wrestlemania weekend before that all got cancelled um that have kind of had the opportunity to shine where like maybe the otherwise they wouldn't have um uh, el desperado um has been kind of like a standout this year um in the restart he kind of they, um they ran an event um, for like the return and then they went straight into New Japan Cup um, and Desperado had a good match uh, like a really really good match against Tomohiro Ishii um, who's like normally kind of Mr. Consistent in New Japan um, and then he went through the best of the Super Juniors made to the finals um, and unfortunately lost but he put on an absolute master like absolutely wonderful performance um and in terms of matches, there's been a fair, there's been a fair few. Um, like the G1 was really good, despite kind of the crowd silence. Um, as a because uh, the government asked, well, they they said to reduce the um, kind of like reduce the transmission of those like particles um, as much as possible. They asked if people could like obviously wear the masks, um, uh, but they also kind of basically put a blanket ban on kind of. The crowd's being vocal, so it's a lot of applause, um, and they made the best out of a pretty bad situation. Um, the first night of the G1, no, sorry, the second night of the G1 tournament, um, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Tetsuya Naito um, was probably probably my match of the year. Um, after, well, besides the 
um, the stuff at Wrestle Kingdom. I'd say that's my New Japan match of the year. Um, like their their feud in twenty seventeen is probably amongst probably my top five favorites ever. Um, oh, and it was really good to see them kind of tear it up again. And they they put on a really really great match just over twenty five minutes. Um, and yeah, it's kind of it's been weird like not seeing a lot of people. But um, Will Ospreay, uh, one of the most divi- one of the more divisive kind of competitors that I see a lot of kind of discourse on on especially a lot on Twitter um, he kind of broke away from Chaos which is kind of like the top kind of good guy faction um, yeah. and uh, turned on Kazuchika Okada and kind of formed his own little group called the Empire um, and now he and Okada are going to square off at Wrestle Kingdom which is um, I'd say there's a fair bit of investment in it but yeah it's been it's been a decent year for them, or, or like altogether. There's been match quality, obviously been kind of affected because obviously like crowd crowd reaction and stuff plays such a big part in like how good a match is. I think like say if we had Hogan and Rock at WrestleMania 18, and there was it say if the, that crowd was silent, I don't think that match would have been anywhere near as good as what it was. Oh, I totally and, agree. Um, <laughs> I was recording uh, my my other show, Chain Wrestling. Uh, with our good friend uh, Mags last night, and we covered the CM Punk John Cena match for the WWE title at Money in the Bank 2011. And for me, and Mags was saying the same thing: the crowd makes that contest. So, and, and you're spot on with the the sort of link there with The Rock and Hogan at WrestleMania 18 as well. I read somewhere, or I might have heard somebody else talking about it on online or on a podcast somewhere. If you actually watch that match back with the crowd muted, it's a completely different contest because they don't do much of anything. It's the crowd that makes it. So I completely agree with you when you're saying about in Japan, even if they have people there, the atmosphere must be very different if there's no literal or physical cheering or or sort of vocal encouragement, I guess. Yeah, it's always kind of been something that I've never really kind of acknowledged until now. And it's like sure like applause is good and like it kind of i guess it's kind of just as difficult to get a crowd to kind of clap for you and kind of support you through kind of just applause and nothing else um but yeah it it was so weird like for the first few months especially like while they were running um while new japan were running the, the empty arena shows um before i think it was dominion in july that there was that was their first show back um and they kind of they had a big title change, which is um, Evil beat Naito for the um, the two titles and mm-hmm. kind of defected to the, the Bullet Club. And it was kind of it was so weird. Just kind of the crowd were kind of just like small amounts of applause here and there, but it was just definitely silence. And it was yeah, it's been like times like this, and I'm kind of grateful that kind of WWE and um, the AEW have kind of found a way around it and. Obviously, AEW running like Daly's place where it's outdoor and you can have a bit of crowd noise there. And WWE with the Thunderdome and you can have like people at home making noise and you can kind of integrate the, those kind of effects into um, like the product for those at home. And it's just, yeah, I think that's one of the things that's kind of surprised me the most this year. Like what kind of realized how, just how important it was. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, I agree. Um, you mentioned evil there, and that's something that I was definitely going to to bring up with you, but we'll, we'll talk about it now, seeing as you mentioned his name. I saw 
online the turn. I saw him um, win the titles. Uh, but I also saw a lot of negativity about potentially how it was handled or the evil title run itself. But again, I'm very much outside looking in at this point in time. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that. And what was the general consensus towards evil um, with regards to his turn and his title run? I mean, I showed my daughter who evil's her favorite wrestler in New Japan. Since the Bucks have gone, evil has been her favorite wrestler in New Japan when we used to watch sort of pre-Wrestle Kingdom this year, I guess. I showed her the turn, and she was not amused at all. So, <laughs> but I mean, with regards to someone yourself who, who has been watching the product a great deal, not just this year, but in general, what were your thoughts on that whole, I suppose, I suppose it was a big, big deal at the time? Um, yeah, I think a lot of us kind of expected Evil to break out at, like, at, at some point. It, it was bound to happen. Um, but I think like the main kind of source of the negativity was the timing and the fact that it felt kind of rushed and it felt like they were gonna they were just going for like shock for the sake of shocking um and it just felt like um because obviously like evil's f- well now former partner sonada was kind of last year he was kind of main eventing and main eventing and main eventing and kind of fighting for that heavyweight title while evil was kind of probably fifth in the pecking order um in Los and Gobernables and like to have him kind of break free and not only win the New Japan Cup beating Okada but then also beating Naito like literally the next night um it was really weird and it wasn't well received because like it was just kind of it was such a break away from like the traditional kind of New Japan match formula where like everything's clean cut and it's just like two guys and it's like fighting spirit but then Evil brought something like completely different to the table and you kind of you had bullet club interference with like, on a scale that we hadn't really seen in quite a while um, and you had like it was just constant kind of um, outside involvement and it was just it ruined the quality of so many matches that could have been like really really good um, Evil's only title defence against Hiromu Takahashi was it was only semi-decent because Hiromu kind of his kind of unique charisma and his the way that he wrestles is kind of it's captivating no matter what like no no matter who you're wrestling like who who you're watching him against and like they it, it just I don't know I think it was because it was just such a change from what we what we were used to um, and I was definitely in that boat I thought it was a really stupid move and I thought it should have been Sonada um, the Bullet Club thing made absolutely no sense to me because they had um, Jay White and Kenta already there um, obviously they're out of the country well they were out of the country at the time so it kind of made sense to have like a top guy um, in the Bullet Club but I just didn't think it should have been evil okay um, I mean with regards to the factions you, you, you talk about there Bullet Club um, and then we mentioned Chaos earlier on with Osprey leaving um, obviously it's very faction or stable based in New Japan everyone seems to be part of a group at some level I guess um, one I wanted to touch upon it, well, a personal favourite of mine is, is Minoru Suzuki and obviously he's the head fella in Suzuki-gun um, but part of that group last time I witnessed the New Japan event properly or last time I looked at this event properly was uh, uh, the English fella, a compatriot of ours, I guess, Zack Sabre Jr. Now, I'm a big, big fan of of this guy. He does he does the kind of wrestling I really enjoy. The, the whole map-based hold-for-hold, the technical side, I guess, if, if you want to use that term. Um, I saw or read reports or, or read articles on certain websites talking about uh, Zack 
being a potential singles champion heading up the card and so on. And then I've more recently seen that he's part of a tag team. Um, what are your thoughts with regards to, to, to that group there, Minoru Suzuki, what, what he's up to at the moment, and especially from, from an Englishman's standpoint, I suppose a selfish standpoint from my own view, um, how, how New Japan are currently using Zack Sabre Jr.? Well, um, I think Suzuki's kind of been... He's been one of the best New Japan talents like all year. Like so He's been insanely consistent. Um, like His G1 run was insane. Um, the match with John Moxley in February was really, really good. Um, probably John Moxley's best match to date. Um, and I think in terms of Suzuki Goon as a whole, I can see kind of... I feel that the fact that Suzuki handpicked Zack to kind of come in um, and kind of be a part of that group. Um, I feel that he's kind of, he's definitely going to be next in line. I think when Suzuki starts to wind it down, it's going to be, um, it's going to be Sabre Goon, I think. Um, but then you look at his partner, Tai Chi, who pinned Suzuki in the G1, uh, which was quite, probably a, probably one of the biggest upsets of the tournament. Um, the fact that Suzuki lost and um, he, he didn't even like lose kind of, there was no question about it. Tai Chi pinned him like clean in the middle of the ring. Um, and it was really, really massive. So um, I think Zach is definitely there. The fact that he won the New Japan Cup in 2018 and kind of challenged Okada um, was kind of a sign that they had plans for him. Um, I think the fact that before Moxley kind of got kind of stopped from coming into Japan because of the COVID travel restrictions... Um, I thought that Zach was going to be the one to take that US title um, off of Moxley, and that'd be the beginning of a long singles run where, like, he eventually claims maybe the Intercontinental title, and then eventually moves up to the heavyweights. But um, I like how he's being used at the minute. Like, he's he's breathed life into kind of an otherwise kind of dead tag division, which has been kind of dominated by the same names. And um, he and Tai Chi are just they're they're really good together. Like, they're um, they just work so well as a team and there's kind of they've got like an, a comedy edge to them like but they're kind of like deadly serious and they, they just want to like those teams you know it's like um but i think his time will come i think they're at the minute they're building the osprey which fair enough um but yeah i think zach time will definitely like come um, probably the next year next year or so maybe two years okay i mean it's all it does tend to be quite all slow building or a slow burn doesn't it in new japan they tend to be do things a much more methodical four-type pace than perhaps, say, a WWE storyline or a WWE career push, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say, like, it's a lot... Well, it, I think it depends because, like... Um, yeah, I think it really does depend because, like, some will kind of... You'll have a push out of, like, relative nowhere, like, with Evil this year, and he's kind of been pushed into that picture, like, with kind of no real sign that... Um, that he was going to be put there eventually. Um, but then, like, Will Ospreay has kind of always been a mainstay and dominated the junior heavyweights for a long time. He's coming to heavyweight, and within, like, six months of moving to heavyweight, he's got his own faction, and he's wrestling Okada on the biggest show of the year. So um, I think it kind of depends on who exactly that is, because, like, there are some, like, Sonada, who kind of shows signs that they're eventually going to get there, and they're kind of put into that position as the main eventer. Um, but... A lot of Carders who are kind of like pretty much came back straight into the main event and has stayed there pretty much ever since. Um, yeah, it really does depend on the wrestler because there are some that kind of some that break the trend and others that kind of kind of keep that kind of traditional 
kind of building. Okay, I see. Um, I mean, as we're we're recording today, well, I suppose the date the show comes out as well is uh, New Year's Eve, so we'll be a few days at most from Wrestle Kingdom. You mentioned they're the, the biggest show of the year. Before we kind of move away a little bit from, from New Japan, uh, what are your thoughts going into the next Wrestle Kingdom? It is the biggest show there of the year. You mentioned um, a few matches that have already been uh, added to the card that look very good. What are your thoughts and what are your hopes going into Wrestle Kingdom this year? Um, I think, honestly, this is kind of the least excited I've been for a Wrestle Kingdom since I started watching New Japan. Oh, okay. I think I think I started watching around... I kind of dipped my toe into the water around Wrestle Kingdom 10 and like kind of came back for Wrestle Kingdom 11. And um, it's kind of... I've never really kind of not been invested. Like, the kind of... The main event picture is just... It's not for me. Um, I don't like the fact that they're once again having, like, the double championship defended. I feel that they could do the Intercontinental on night one and the heavyweight on night two. Um, or, and just like the general kind of card, like the never championship match, uh, Shingo Takagi and Jeff Cobb is just, I don't know. It's just not, that. it's just not doing it for me. And um, Hiroshi Tanahashi against uh, Great Okan, who kind of, who came over here and um, did quite well in Rev Pro um, on his excursion is kind of the first rescue kingdom back. And I, I don't care. <laughs> and it's just, that sounds, that sounds really bad, but it just doesn't feel obviously like it's quite fitting considering 2020 wasn't a normal year, but it just doesn't feel like a Wrestle Kingdom. No, I know what you mean. I know. I mean, I've, I, I've watched, as I mentioned previously, New Japan for a while, but not really this year. Um, not as long as, as you have there. It's very much like I sort of came along as a viewer, I suppose, as many people in the UK and the States and so on may well have when Chris Jericho was building up to face Kenny Omega. That kind of got my attention. I was kind of ignorant, I suppose, to, to New Japan before that. Um, from there, I, I watched old events. I, I watched the, the current product as much as possible. Um, my daughter and I really got into it and absolutely loved it. Um, obviously, I've not seen the product this year, so it's difficult for me to judge. But I kind of feel the same looking down the card shoe. It's not... It looks like it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a solid show. Of course it is. I mean, the, the in-ring action is always, from my opinion anyway, very... Very solid, very good. It's, it's the type of wrestling I enjoy. But there isn't any major why factor for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm absolutely agreed on that. Like, I think it feels weird saying this because I've not really, I've kind of really kind of fell out of kind of favour with Will Ospreay. Um, but kind of his, him and Okada kind of seems like it could be a really good thing. Um, and maybe the US Championship. Um, the briefcase match, which is Kenta against um, Satoshi Kojima, they kind of seem like it seems more interesting than the heavyweight briefcase, and that's really weird to say because normally, like, that's your big story. But Kenta has done such a good job at kind of making the best out of a bad situation because obviously John Moxley can't work um, in in the United States for New Japan, and obviously can't come to Japan at the minute because of the um, the pandemic. And Kenta's whole thing is kind of Right, we're we're bringing him like well, I need to fight John Moxley, and I'm, I'm defending this briefcase more than John Moxley's defended the title, and it's kind of um, I'm more I'm more invested in that than um, Jay White versus the uh, the winner of the double title match on night one. 
Okay. I mean, obviously, we're still going to sit down and watch the show, so I suppose they've done enough to, to keep us interested, but I, I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. So, I mean, as we move away from, from New Japan, now, then, um, if you had to pick one out from the New Japan roster as being your guy for the last for the last year, your your guy in 2020 for New Japan, who do you think it would be? Um, I'd say Tetsuya Knight has a good show. Like, as champion, he's done quite well. Um like in terms of the actual title defense quality, it hasn't been. Uh, it's left a lot to be desired, but I think his G1 run alone um, was really, really good. He was by far the MVP of that tournament. Um, maybe uh, I'd say Hiromu Takahashi as well. Um, kind of came back. Great match on January fourth. Um, kind of great New Japan Cup run. Great best of the Super Juniors run and the great final. And it's just I think he's been the most consistent this year and it. His YouTube channel has been brilliant. I think he's really kind of carried the New Japan flag while they haven't been running events. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to pick Hiromu. Okay, fair enough. Uh, like I said, as, as I said, I'm moving away from New Japan now. Um, I know you sort of, uh, I suppose, follow a better term, dip your toe in and out of various different companies. By following you on Twitter and uh, speaking to you myself, I know that you, you give pretty much any form of wrestling a try. You're very open minded. Uh, what else in Japan has has stood out to you? What else have you have you enjoyed? Whether it's been at the start of the year, throughout the year, or even just recently? Um, I'd say like for, throughout the year, it's kind of obviously I've enjoyed kind of discovering new products. Um, I'd say um, Pro Wrestling Noah um, has kind of been kind of one of the standouts in terms of like their main event quality. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful to watch. Um, they're, they're a bit, they kind of, the main events do go a bit long. Uh, no, I won't lie. Um, the last two main events went about 50 minutes each, Okay, but it, it was, they were really good matches. Um, and, um, two AW have kind of been one of my favorite promotions like all year. They've kind of got, um, it's kind of sports entertainment, but like there's kind of like, a legitimate kind of wrestling feel to it. Um, it's kind of like it feels like familiar, and there's kind of um, like a smaller roster and a smaller company just feels like kind of more authentic. And it's like it's got kind of like a certain appeal to it. I can't really explain, but um, yeah, I think um, yeah, Noah two um, AW and maybe Seedling, who kind of um, I kind of dropped Stardom, who were kind of like the big the biggest kind of women's company out in Japan um, in around June. And I decided to kind of like start looking at more options. And Seedling has been absolutely wonderful. Um, they have shows on YouTube. Uh, well, they've got some some of their old shows on YouTube and like their tag team um, main events have been absolutely. Um, I think two of them in the last few months alone have made it into my top five match of the years, um, which is mental. But um, yeah, I'd say my favourite bit about it was kind of the discovery as a whole. I can't, I can't really like pinpoint one certain thing because mm. it's just been great. You mentioned there um, sort of falling away from stardom a bit. I remember you you putting a few tweets out about that. Um, just, just sort of talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I understand stardom was a, was a company that you enjoyed a great deal, but have kind of stepped away from. What exactly was that? Um, I think it was like. Because obviously, like the the passing of Hanakamura in March was kind of like quite upsetting, but mm. I kind of got into this. I kind of got into Stardom around well around this time last year. The first show that I watched was their their year end show, 
Um, and it kind of, like, the match quality was good, but, like, there was just something that I didn't feel comfortable with, like, especially after Hannah's passing and stuff, and I was invested in the likes of, kind of, Hannah's friends, like, Jungle Kiona, who challenged for the, the World of Stardom Championship, like, not long after they came back. Um, but then after that, it was kind of, this, I kind of just felt this isn't for me. And um, then there was a lot of stuff where uh, Bushi Road, who were like Stardom and New Japan's parent company, and they apparently, um, they were quite dismissive of um, Hanakamura's kind of mother, who obviously wasn't best pleased. Um, well, God, look, best pleased, that's kind of not the best term, but like, obviously oh, I know, I know what about her daughter's situation. Um, and the fact that um, they were put in kind of, I kind of looked past it for a while, but as I kind of um, kind of got into that fandom, um, and they were kind of st- a big part of Stardom's appeal is kind of like for for a lot of people, it's kind of they sell photo books of like their talent in kind of like bikinis and kind of like those sort of photo shoots. Okay, and that kind of seemed okay with me because like obviously like oh they're all consenting on that, but there was one wrestler um, called uh, Azumi. It's like stylized as A Z M, and she was seventeen at the time. And she was included in these bikini photo books. Um, and that kind of, it didn't really feel right in supporting kind of a company like this. Like, and that's nothing against the talent because like the main events are good and they've got like a good crop of kind of rookie talent. But um, I just didn't feel comfortable like knowing about the kind of Hanakimura's mother and kind of um, the fact that they were putting like teenagers in their sweet, uh, in kind of like bikini shoots to kind of sell photo books, it d- didn't seem like something I really wanted to invest my money in. No, I mean, I, I, I put that into context on, on a personal level. I've got a daughter that age, so that's yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. It, it's kind of, I, I don't, I don't know the right words. I suppose it sounds a bit silly, but it's kind of icky, I guess. It's kind of a bit, oh, I'm not sure about that sort of thing, I guess. Um, yeah, less said about that, the better. But I understand where where you're coming from with regards to that, and, and especially this this poor young lady's mother as well. If she was treated not in a in a particularly favourable way, that's that's pretty horrific. So I understand where you're coming from. Um, as we as we sort of draw to a close here, then with, with our look at the the wrestling year in Japan, what are your hopes going into 2021 for Japanese wrestling in general? Any particular companies you're looking forward to seeing more of? Any any hopes that certain companies will improve and get your eyes back on them in any way? What what, what are your your hopes and what are you looking for in the next calendar year in Japan, mate? Well, I'm guessing. I think like my biggest kind of hope, I'm sure that kind of I could easily apply it to wrestling as a whole, is that we get back to normal because like there's been kind of so many events like they've been good, but like you just know that they would have been so much better with the crowd. And um, I remember going to like New Japan's first well, one of the new. New Japan's like biggest events over here, um, Royal Quest last summer, and that was kind of one of the best days of my life. Like the atmosphere was so good, and um, wrestling just doesn't feel the same. So I'm hoping that kind of, I guess, kind of stepping away from wrestling like a little bit, kind of we get the vaccine, um, and it's kind of mass distributed, and kind of we can start getting a sense of normality back. Um, but in terms of like looking at kind of different products, um, I'm hoping that New Japan kind of get back to like their kind of old ways in terms of how their main events are structured, like less kind of interference and more kind of straight wrestling and um, like new stars are good, but kind of build them up properly rather than just, oh, you know, what, like here's a free match win streak. Here's a trophy that like nobody expected you to win. And then here's the titles two days later. Um, 
and like I'm looking forward to exploring more of uh, Seedling and um, Two AW Noah, um, other com- other like women's companies like uh, Ice Ribbon. Um, I've heard such good things about them, and it's just I think even with how bad this year's been, I think this has been kind of my favourite year as a wrestling fan because the time that I've got, time that I had in lockdown, and like time. Um, like all the time we've had this year it's kind of allowed me to kind of cut the fat from what I was watching and kind of decide right this is the wrestling I like and I don't actually have to watch this just because I pay for it I can cancel it and look at something else um, and yeah it's been, a, it's been a good year and I'm hoping that I can kind of keep exploring like next year and uh, yeah I'm excited for it great stuff okay um, what I would like to do Conrad if okay with you at some point in the future maybe after Wrestle Kingdom, potentially sometime early February, late January, potentially, have you back on, and we can have a proper discussion about Japanese wrestling in general, um, certain histories and certain companies and, and so on, uh, where we've got a little bit more time. I find this this brief look back, this sort of general, uh, general look back on the calendar year in Japan, really, really interesting. It's been a fascinating discussion. Um, I'd love to do I'd love to do more of it when you have more time. Well, when, when we have more time, if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. I'd, I'd love to be... This is really fun. Um, I'd love to do it again. Great stuff. Okay. Um, if you could very kindly let everyone know where they can find yourself on the social medias and the excellent website that you run. Of course. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Elkonpatnernoot. Um, you can follow... Um, Chopsticks and Deerfalls, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Sai, you'll be a part of soon, hopefully. Um, I, I, I will be, I will be. I'll be contributing some articles as and when I can, indeed. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you as part of the team. I've kind of um, been a fan of like your writing for a while, so I'm looking forward to kind of what well, I'm honoured that you'd be um, kind of a part of this team now. Um, very kind, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and yeah, at CK Nearfalls on Twitter, chopsticksandnearfalls.com. And, um, yeah, and be sure to listen to uh, this podcast and Chain Wrestling and all the other great podcasts out there. Like, just support content creators, I guess, in closing. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. I totally agree. Uh, again, Comrade, thank you very much for your time. And when we have more time to go proper into a, a deep dive on certain events and matches, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, all that's left for me to say now, my friend, is um, I wish you and your family and all your loved ones a happy new year. And we'll speak soon, bud. Yeah, happy new year to you, mate. Joining me now on the SJP Wrestling Podcast to look back on the last 12 months in AEW. It's the podfather himself, my good friend Max. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, not too bad. It feels like forever since we last spoke, so it's good to finally hear your voice after such a long, long time. It's got to be at least, what... 22 hours I think <laughs> <laughs> I've missed you though mate you know yeah. I mean like like you said before we started recording so much has changed in that in that short space of time that's it mate that's it <laughs> um, okay I mean what, what we're going to do is just have a little look back um, as, as someone yourself who has watched the majority or potentially all of AEW programming in the last year we're going to have a little look back at um, their year in general um, as I have done with other guests for uh, other companies, um, I suppose we should start with the biggest story in the world, not just professional wrestling, as I've said to other guests already on the show, um, the whole coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. How, how do you think AEW have, uh, have dealt with that 
incredible and very odd challenge. Yeah, it was a, it was su- such a kind of a, a, a changing of the times for, for wrestling with coronavirus and how they dealt with it. Uh, at the beginning, um, my view was for, for all kind of wrestling to, to stop. I wanted it all to stop because I didn't want to be putting uh, wrestlers and fans uh, at risk just for the sake of entertainment. And uh, AEW at the beginning kind of like really riled me a little bit because of the way they were so bullish in terms of uh, of dealing with the coronavirus. I mean, that's not to say AEW were, were totally uh, alone in that. WWE were just as bad. Uh, but what really kind of... Uh, what really kind of like set them apart for me was AW was the first uh, company to start kind of like um, hopping from state to state to uh, kind of take advantage of the different um, uh, states in America's uh, approach to coronavirus. Um, so I was quite, um, I'd say not angered so much, but I was quite like disappointed that AW went to that that kind of mindset, but uh, I have to give them uh, the props uh, as they kind of settled in and as the world kind of settled in to deal with coronavirus. I felt that their way of uh, of testing their uh, talent and the way of uh, uh, making sure that uh, they weren't uh, super spreader events was it, they deserve a lot of praise. Um, looking back now with with um, with uh, like late 2020 hours it's it's actually good that they were able to weather that storm because they they provided us with entertainment for the for the next nine months or so uh when when we were at a point of thinking maybe coronavirus would be over in a month or so it's actually gone on for for the best part of this year and if aw had a shut up shop we wouldn't have had the amazing shows that, that they've been able to put on. So looking back, I actually, um, I probably were a little bit hasty uh, in in my first opinions of AW with the coronavirus, but all in all, I think they've handled it really, really well and and, and really kind of uh, put the talent first, I suppose. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Initially, it, I suppose for what of a better term, it, it, it wasn't a good look, was it? How they were how they were seen to be working from state to state and looking mm-hmm. at different options. It wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't feel right somehow. I, I could never really put my finger on exactly what it was. It just didn't feel great. Um, but yeah, right. I mean, the way it's the way they've carried on throughout the whole situation, um, and now looking at them when they had wrestlers at ringside, and then now they're having fans socially distanced um, at events now. I mean, it's been a huge, important, a hugely important um, aspect for me during lockdown. AEW is the show I watch mm-hmm. weekly with, with my little girl. So that continuing has, has kind of given us a little bit of normalcy whilst I was sat at home out of work. My daughters were, well, and my son as well, were sat at home told not to attend school or college. Mm-hmm. My, young, my, my older kids, they can entertain themselves. Great. No problem. My daughter, my youngest, was very much... It was nice having that regular weekly show still to sit down and enjoy together. That, that was, for me personally, that was, that was a great aspect. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And um, like I said, looking at, at, at AW now, as compared to like when the coronavirus first kicked in and, and everybody was, uh, was, was like really not understanding what this virus actually was, it's... I, I appreciate the fact that AW, WWE, uh, New Japan were all still able to to give us this content because we would have gone the best part of a year with with nothing. 
and they've uh, they've really kind of been helpful for in in terms of just keeping us entertained, keeping our kind of minds off uh, the world setting itself on fire, and really, um, uh, and I, I don't think they'll get they get as much praise for it, but really helping people's mental health because you had something something positive to focus on rather than sitting there and thinking well my world's destroyed because of a uh, coronavirus yeah yeah spot on um you say there about having something positive to focus on i suppose we'll, we'll get to the, the good points now i suppose um there's been numerous great matches this year at AEW from from my own personal standpoint um some fantastic tag team performances that we've seen uh, some great storytelling and, and so on what really stands out for you in the last 12 months, um, I suppose, it, just in general, as, as a positive, whether it's particular matches or events or, or anything in general you really, really enjoyed from AEW? I think there's a hell of a lot to enjoy from from this company. They they've really taken Western wrestling and and kind of really uh, ruffled a lot of feathers and really kind of uh, rocked the boat. Um, now, for for a, a little bit of a statistical breakdown, in in 2020 they had 51 four star plus matches, uh, according to uh, the 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 Wrestling Observer newsletter scale. That's for a Western company, that's outstanding. Now, if you compare that to WWE, uh, over all the brands that WWE had, they only had 48 four-plus star matches. Uh, and if you actually want to compare it to uh, New Japan, who historically uh, are the, the kind of uh, bar setters for, for star ratings, they actually had eight four-star uh, four matches. So that... Comparing that to a company like AEW, who are in their infancy, still only into their their second year as a company, to be and and in a in a wrestling world where uh, it's generally marked down compared to uh, the wrestling in Japan, that's a massive massive positive uh, to to have a six star match in the uh, the uh, Young Bucks and uh, against uh, Page and Omega Revolution. That was outstanding. All uh, all the big matches that they've had have all been tag matches as well, which is one thing that has really appealed to me as a as a wrestling fan. Uh, my bread and butter has always been tag team wrestling. You know how much I adore uh, teams like uh, the Legion of Doom, uh, and I think a, what AW one of the things that they promised was a focus on tag team wrestling, and I think in 2020 they've really hit home with that. Uh, out of the the top ten rated matches, uh, nine of them are, are tags, which just goes to show how much of a, an emphasis on tag team wrestling that they've put on. And just to kind of really kind of nail that point down of how good the wrestling's been, uh, they had full gear uh, in no, in November, and that was rated as possibly the, the worst show, that, uh, the worst pay-per-view that AEW put on. But they still had some absolute banging matches on there. Yeah. Uh, it's so they've set such a high bar, and they've really kind of entertained us with, with, uh, with the wrestling. It, it's yeah, I, th- I think as, as someone, especially someone coming uh, who, who has a bit of a reputation of being a bit dour on the AEW product, but what I what I feel I am is I'm more I'll call a spade a spade. If something doesn't hit home with me, I'll call it out. But then in the same breath, if something is uh, really kind of uh, um, hits all the marks. I'll I'll give them all the praise in the world. And 
AEW have definitely hit the marks way more times than they've, they've missed it for me. They've just been outstanding all year. Some some really cool matches, some really cool storylines. I think they've 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 really been a bright spark in 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 the wrestling world for for me in 2020. Yeah, I I completely agree. As I said, it's the only show that I make a point of watching each mm-hmm. week. My, my my wheelhouse is very much. As does you, and I suppose the listeners are already fully aware. Um, very much retro wrestling, old school wrestling, the style. Yeah, there, I guess. But this is the only real modern product I watch on a weekly basis. I, I dip in and out of NXT as well, and I watch the takeovers and the main pay per views from WWE. Um, but this is the only one that I watch on a regular basis, and I've really, really enjoyed what I've seen. And I think a big, a big plus point in AEW for me, especially coming from uh, my my more uh, my favourites, I suppose, being the nostalgia and the old school style, is how slow some of the storylines go. It's not mm-hmm. one and done. It's not oh, such and such happens on a Monday night, and then it's done with at the pay per view two weeks later. There's, I appreciate there's not a pay per view every month, which probably helps with that format. Yeah, but the the slow build of storylines, the slow build of, um, to, to the point of. Sort of building the hype up for a big contest or a big title match or the end of a feud, I guess. And it effectively becomes must-see because it's been built so well for so long, if, if I'm making any sense there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, take, for example, the, the Page and Hangman stuff. Uh, yes. Going back to Revolution, which was in February of this year, uh, we were sowing the seeds of, of, of dissent between the two teams, um, really seeing like a Hangman break away from the elite and really go on his own kind of journey, uh, uh, da- his downward spiral into uh, into uh, alcohol abuse, uh, the, the, the storyline where he was being uh, tempted into the Dark Order, and we come back to now to uh, December and that storyline's still ongoing it's still bubbling but it doesn't feel stretched out it's it's almost been a natural progression that we're going to get to Kenny and and, and Paige uh, separating and, and really wanting like vengeance and I feel that it's been such a well told story and AEW have, have really uh, done well at stuff like this I mean take the, uh, the storylines between uh Jericho and MJF wanting to join uh, the the inner circle that could have easily been uh, done and dusted in a couple of weeks, but they really kind of uh, really kind of was able to get more out of the storyline by having it um, little nuances week by week, and um, it's it, it's it's been such great storytelling and, and for a fledgling company to be able to kind of entertain us uh, over multiple hours a week. Uh, and still have these long, stretching, cohesive storylines. It's uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a joy to watch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You mentioned uh, MJF there. He for me has been my, I suppose, uh, breakout or, or new star for me that I'm witnessing for relatively the first time in AEW. I think the guy's an absolute diamond. Just the way he—he's—he's he's good in the ring. Don't get me wrong, but the whole—the whole character work he does. He's a real old school, old fashioned heel, and I love that. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's another praise that I've got to give uh, AEW is the fact that they've been able to mould newer stars, uh, but not kind of push them too soon. 
I mean, look at the stuff we have with MJF. He's, he w- could have easily been pinned as one of the first AEW champions, but instead they allowed him to really kind of showcase his, uh, his uh, character work, really get the fans invested in hating him uh, before he gets that, that big push to, uh, to superstardom. And I think it works absolutely perfectly. Same thing you could be said with Darby Allen. He could have been someone who you could have easily pinned um, the, the, the top of the mid card on from day one. But we as fans wouldn't have, have, have kind of known his character and wouldn't have like really got invested in him. And the way that they've they've slowly built him up as the underdog uh, and then the face of TNT, I think uh, the way that they've utilised um, established talents like Cody and like Jericho and, and like Kenny Omega to, to boost the profiles of these uh, younger wrestlers and really get us as fans to know them, I think that's a, that's a really good thing. But then you could contrast that with the women's division where they haven't really been able to uh, successfully do that and we're, we're still kind of waiting for that that one maybe breakout star in the women's division. Uh, but all in all, yeah, um, in terms of uh, storylines and character work, AEW have, have, have got many, many more positives than they have the negatives. I mean, it's, I suppose after looking at quite a few of the positives and, and listing a few um, good things they have done there, we should look at the other side of the coin and, and discuss any things that potentially haven't clicked, haven't worked, or have just downright been awful. Uh, and the women's division for me is the one big letdown. Um, yeah. These ladies are obviously talented. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be seen as digging any of them out here. They've obviously got varying levels of ability, um, but something isn't right. So it just, it's, I don't know whether it's not being given enough TV time whether you're looking at people who are very talented in ring, but potentially a lot of them lack the charisma to, uh, I suppose, make the jump across to being a star to, to more casual viewers. Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly why it's not clicking to the, to the level that other things on the show are. Um, what are your thoughts there? I mean, are, are they lost the... Oh my goodness! I'm, I'm so sorry that the lady's name, um, the alien lady, Skylander, oh, Chris Statlander, that, Statlander, that's it. Yeah. Um, she, I think, was showing some level of promise before she got injured. Um, so I think that sets the division back a little. Uh, but then on the other side of the coin, you have Britt Baker, who I think, when she got injured, did some of her best work. Um, yeah. How do you view the women's division overall, and, and how do you think potentially they can improve it in the next coming year? Yeah, I think uh, there's a, a multitude of reasons why the the women's division uh, didn't quite hit the, the the marks that it could have done. Firstly, it's um, I don't think the the commentary team did a good enough job in in getting us to know the wrestlers. I mean. At the beginning, it, there was a lot of focus on, on Joshi style and, and Japanese wrestlers. So we as fans need that information as to why we should get invested in these wrestlers, why we should care about these wrestlers. And I don't think the commentary team did enough work in getting us uh, into that uh, into that mindset. Then secondly, a, a lot of their women's talent have come from uh, directly from the indie scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you look at the men's, uh, a lot of theirs have, have had some sort of... Uh, mainstream um, um, showcasing like either from WWE or from Impact so they've been able to to really know how to work a TV style uh, because they are two different, totally different styles of wrestling with the indie style you basically you're appealing to the crowd and with the 
the TV style, you you have to know how to uh, appeal to the camera. You have to know uh, your positioning and and how you can uh, convey your message over the TV screen. And I don't think a lot of the women's wrestlers had that experience. So um, we they they just they, it, they felt green almost. And then you couple that with the fact that. Um, the, the segments with the women's wrestlers were were over, overall the year some of the lowest uh, rated segments and some of the uh, the lowest viewed. So you can kind of understand AEW's point of why would I focus on the something that's that's getting half the views of of something like Jericho versus Orange Cassidy, for example. So it's almost like a vicious circle where the the women um, are not getting the views which means they're not getting the TV time, which means they aren't able to improve how they are in front of a camera. So it's a kind of a, a vicious circle. Uh, but I do believe that uh, they've got some of the, the most talented wrestlers uh, in in the world in, in AEW, the likes of Hikari Shida. She's uh, a phenomenal talent. Chris Statlander, when she comes back, will be an absolute superstar. But I think the 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 making of this division surrounds uh, Britt Baker for me. I think when AW first formed and she was like the 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 main star of the women's division, I think she floundered a little bit because I don't believe that she was ready for that for that spot. I don't believe character wise she she knew herself enough. And I think the injury has actually been a bit of a blessing because she's been able to work on the weakest part of her, her wrestling um, um, uh, persona. In ring, she's superb, but she didn't really have that that character work down uh, just enough for me. Whereas with the injury, the stuff with uh, with a uh, big swall, the stuff with Tony Shibane, I think she's really been able to kind of nail down what her character is going to be. And um, once she's really fully fit and ready to to be that face, I think you've got an absolute star in the making there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think some of the highlights for me for the women's division have actually been matches that aren't part of the AEW women's division. Um, I've been, uh, I suppose, exposed to Thunder Rosa for the first time this year. I saw her on the NWA show. Um, that since there, obviously, on the AEW shows. And she won me over instantly. I think she is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Serena Deeb, um, a couple of performances that she's had on Dynamite as well, or, or, or Dark. Again, absolutely superb. Um, is that potentially an answer? Is is bringing in one or two faces from elsewhere to strengthen the division and maybe help guide? I mean, in Serena Deeb's case, she's a very experienced lady. She's been a, she's been around high profile television wrestling shows for for many years. Somebody like that could be a great help to to these more independent based stars making that step up, maybe. Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think uh, the the bringing in the likes of Thunder Rosa, uh, Elise, uh, Diamante, um, and and like I said, Serena Deeb has has added um, a lot more maturity, maybe, and a lot more kind of a ring general uh, ring generalism into uh, the product. And looking forward to the future, the the, the links that they're now having with with Impact and and the continued links with uh with the NWA, um, it's looking bright. You, you look at some of the talent that they can bring in uh, from from these companies, the likes of Alison K over at, uh, at NWA, um, yeah. Jordan Grace, um, t- 
Tennille Dashwood or uh, Diana Perazzo over uh, uh, Impact. The future is incredibly bright for this women's division if everything goes to to what we as fans hope for with the the Impact and and uh, the NWA uh, um, partnerships. But yeah, like I said, they've got some amazingly talented wrestlers there. I absolutely love uh, Big Swall. I think she's a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, Nala Rose has got the potential to be one of the big monster heel wrestlers. And when you've got a wrestler with the skill of Hikaru Shida, um, you, you've, you've got the basis there for a very, very good women's division. Yeah, Shida's fantastic, isn't she? Absolutely. So good. She's, she's arguably... Top two uh, best wrestlers, uh, best female wrestlers in the world for me. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll throw another name out there, not to contest your top two. I'm just saying about face uh, known names coming in. Obviously, for a little while, that the name Tessa Blanchard was was thrown around. What are your thoughts on that? <sighs> hmm. As a wrestler, she's she's up there. She's absolutely up there with with uh, among the very best women's wrestlers as a person oh i don't know it's if AEW are able to kind of like get the best out of her and 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 also then kind of change her mindset in terms of how she uh, treats other wrestlers, how she treats a fellow women, then maybe it's a good thing. I'm, I'm, I've always hoped that people can change, and and I, I've never been someone who wants to kind of really uh, judge someone for the rest of their life on a few actions that they they did. Um, uh, in in the early part of it, so I've I've got to hope that there is a better uh, Tessa Blanchard than than we've been shown. Uh, if that means uh, maybe being with a with a dad at, at AW and 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 kind of having that that leading uh, figure, perhaps that that could work. Uh, but she's too good of a talent to waste. Uh, sat there. Uh, twiddling her thumbs and I think she could do great things in AEW but she has to prove to uh, I mean not just to me but to a lot of people that she has, can kind of repent for what she's done and, and really kind of uh, take stock of it and, and and change her kind of attitude but if, if they were to bring her in as a wrestler that would be a huge move yeah yeah I agree um, you mentioned uh, before we sort of went on to the, the women's division there and we were talking more, I suppose, about positives or, or plus points to the year in AEW. The, I believe it was six-star match, wasn't it, between the Bucks and Paige and Omega? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that your match of the year? Um, and if it is or isn't, what other ones stand out for you for the last 12 months? Okay, so I think that was an outstanding match. Uh, what kind of that as as has took it away from, from being the, the best match AEW has put it on is because... So many people uh, wax lyrical about it. I mean, we got uh, Dave Meltzer saying it's arguably the best tag match that it has ever been in the in the history of wrestling. Which, as someone who's, who <laughs> loves tag tag wrestling, I, I, I just can't get it. It was a great match. Don't get me wrong, and and it's definitely worthy of being a six star match. But I don't think it was even AEW's best match of the year. Uh, for for me, that was uh, FTR versus the Bucks. That match was just everything 
I love about tag team wrestling. The callbacks to uh, the the tag teams that have uh, they've influenced uh, the 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 teams and also teams that they've already pre they worked with. I mean the the DIY segment just absolutely beautiful. Um, the the move sets the kind of uh, storytelling that you only really get with a tag team match and then uh, a finish where uh, one of the tag teams uh, members goes against the total philosophy of their of their team to try and, and and sneak a victory and then it absolutely blows up in the face and they end up losing i think that for me has been aw's best match of the year the uh ftr and, and young bucks match yeah great storytelling isn't it the whole mm-hmm. like, like you said going against their kind of ethos their, their game plan i guess yeah great storytelling um how about looking at singles competition on the men's side then who for you has stood out from the AEW roster, from the men's singles rosters there? I mean, obviously Moxley held the title for the majority of the year, so I'm guessing he's going to be relatively at the forefront of this discussion. But I mean, who else has stood out to you? Yeah, you're right, Moxley. For for me, um, and and on wrestling Twitter, when people have been coming up with uh, who's been the best wrestler uh, of 2020, Mox has always been the, one of the first names because of the the way he he left WWE under a cloud, uh, really not uh, happy with his uh, with his work, and then has had a, a massive. Uh, just resurgence in AEW and in, in New Japan, able to to really uh, work his magic in two companies. So it's hard to not look past uh, Mox. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. But for me, I think uh, the person who's impressed me the most is probably Orange Cassidy. Uh, okay. He's not yeah, he's, he's, he's not somebody um, who I really knew a lot about before uh, before AEW. Uh, I'd heard rumblings of him. I'd seen a, a couple of his matches um, for uh, is it uh, New England Wrestling, but I didn't know the character. And the way that they brought him in, I thought, how is this? How has this person got legs? How is this slacker character going to be able to to keep us entertained over a long, long period? And he's he's managed to pull it off because he's he's got that kind of mindset where he'll do the the least amount possible, but then when you get him riled up, he's he's like a coil. He just snaps, and then you get some absolutely amazing wrestling out of him. Most way through the year, you you get one or two words out of him. Uh, you get the the very lazy kind of thumbs up. But then when you we got to the feud with uh, Chris Jericho and the debate with uh, Eric Bischoff, and we got a kind of a side of Orange that nobody's ever seen before. A really kind of intelligent side that uses the the least amount of words possible for the greatest amount of effect. Yeah, I just thought, yeah, this is a character I can really get invested with. So I've really liked um, Orange Cassidy. I've liked uh, when they've brought in big guys who who I, rem- who I remember from other companies, uh, guys like Lance Archer. I mean, I know that he's um, he didn't start off with the best of terms and a lot of those big guys did kind of fall at the, at the Cordy altar, which uh, kind of like... Nice. 
is one thing that really kind of grinds me. But I think his work with uh, Jake the Snake Roberts has been absolutely superb. Uh, I really uh, I've liked him in uh, in his work in TNA and then obviously as part of our Killer Elite squad in, in New Japan. So seeing him come and, and, and become a big, big star uh, has been has been nothing short of phenomenal, and I've also really enjoyed uh, Kenny Omega. I think the if you look at all the EVPs, they've all kind of been front and center of the company. Uh, apart from Kenny, Kenny's kind of really he should, he is the, the the wrestler you would have automatically thought he's going to be the the, the one guy in AEW, arguably the most talented wrestler on the roster. Uh, wrestler of the year so many times putting on phenomenal match after phenomenal match after phenomenal match you would have thought he would have been the guy that they they pin their banner to and he hasn't he was in the tag team uh, division for a long time uh, he got a couple of shots uh, for, at the title against uh, uh, Jericho and, and, and Mox not really kind of uh, pulling him off and it's only at the end of the year, uh, coming into what I think it's like 18 months the company's been around, that we're seeing Kenny rise to the top. And I've really enjoyed how that slow build of, of Kenny uh, coming out of uh, being the, the goody two-shoes that everybody loves me kind of wrestler to turning back to the, the New Japan-style cleaner where he's an absolute douchebag. Uh, so, yeah, um, those are really the standouts for me, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Omega fan, so it's great seeing how the year is ending with him getting um, his time, I suppose, in the main event picture and with the championship. And this this arrangement they seem to have with Impact Wrestling as well is really interesting and intriguing going forward. I mean, with regards to that going forward, um, what are you what are you hoping for with AEW? Going into 2021, what what's what are you looking forward to, and what are you hoping they can potentially change and improve upon? Okay, I'm um, I'm absolutely looking forward to like you just said the 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 impact stuff. It's something that in modern wrestling we don't see enough of when it comes to uh, the big mainstream companies. WWE very rarely, if ever, acknowledges that they've got competition. Uh, New Japan is kind of like a, on its own island and, and really doesn't uh, deal with a lot of the Western uh, as of right now. But we're seeing AEW really reach out and and uh, acknowledge uh, uh, the NWA and acknowledge Impact. And this kind of like storyline over both shows is it's exciting. It, it's fun to watch. And we kind of touched upon it on a on uh, the recent episode of Chain Wrestling where uh, that would have been something that we could have potentially seen uh, in WWE with CM Punk. Uh, yeah. We're actually getting it now, some 10 years later almost, uh, to see where this, this really goes. But I think what I'd like to see is is carrying on this focus with tag team wrestling. I think uh, they've arguably got the best tag team division in the world. Some some amazing talents there. Um, really, kind of keep pushing the this uh, this douchebag storyline and and he'll work for MJF. Uh, really um, pushing this this uh, uh, Adam Page um, kind of. Uh, circle into into despair and then uh, eventually getting a redemption arc that'd be something cool that I'd, that I'd hope for and um, a more 
pushing of these young, hungry, uh, former indie talents uh, and really making big superstars because if the company is going to flourish for decades and decades beyond, they need to do that. They need their own stars. They can't keep relying on people coming in like uh, uh, Rusev's or... or um, or Lance Archers or, or, or people like that, uh, people who have made their name in other companies, they want AEW made stars. So you're getting that with the likes of Jungle Boy, you're getting it with the likes of Darby Allen. Uh, arguably, you're getting it with, with guys like even Eddie Kingston, who, who did make his name on the Indies, but he's never had that kind of major uh, showcasing before AEW um, I think focusing on, on these young hungry talents really making AEW a stand out as a brand and when you think of these wrestlers you instantly think AEW uh, and and just being that alternative to, to WWE uh, I, I mean I don't, I don't believe that they've really kind of fulfilled the promises that they made about changing the wrestling universe and, and, and being um being a, a a WWE killer, but what they have done is give us a, a very viable alternative wrestling for, for people who are maybe disenfranchised by WWE. They've given you something fresh and new to look at, and uh, I think continuing that into 2021 is is the the way I see AEW going forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I very much fit in that bracket of um, sort of losing touch or being disinterested or drifting away from WWE. So having something new and fresh to watch whereas i don't always agree with how how things are done um but still having something new and fresh to watch has really sort of reignited my passion for for wrestling in the modern day modern era and obviously my daughter as well she's drifted I mean, it's, it's very it's, it's very sad 11 she's 11 years old a couple of days ago no interest in wwe whatsoever whereas you go back to when i was 11 it's all i wanted to watch um there's something wrong there but the fact that AEW is there as a, a genuine accessible alternative i think is superb for the wrestling world in general um mags thank you very very much for sparing some more of your time to pop on the sjp wrestling pod today and giving us a a very sort of general overlook of the last 12 months in AEW. i hugely appreciate it my friend if you could just no worries (laughs) if you could just let uh everyone listening know where they can find you and your good work Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at DJ Kirby, where you will uh, be able to get links to my award-winning podcast content. Uh, being a, <laughs> just, I'm, I'm literally the best podcaster that's ever lived in the history of the world. Uh, not really, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, come and uh, give me a follow, give me a listen. Uh, I always appreciate it, uh, and yeah, just uh, come and join in the fun. Okay, great stuff. Again, Max, thank you very, very much for your time, buddy. Uh, all that's left now is for me to, to wish you, your loved ones, and all your family and so on a very happy new year, and I will speak to you soon, my friend. Same to you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And finally, last on, joining me now on the SJP Wrestling Podcast to look back on the the year 2020 in NXT. I'm over the moon to be joined by Josh DeBoard of the RSH Wrestling Podcast and various other projects as well. Josh, how are we doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Um, thank you very much for sparing some time to come on and uh, have a little look back at NXT in the last year. 
Um, I'm really glad that you're able to to take the time to do that for me. Um, I understand you watch the product every week. It, it's your favourite brand, as you told me the other day. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to hearing your insights. Well, I appreciate you having me asking me to come on. No problem, no problem. Well, when I needed someone to review NXT, yours was the first name that sort of popped in my head. To be honest, you were the That's first, funny. first one. So. I used to not watch it at all when it before it became live. Then I saw it live, and I was kind of like, "Man, why did I not watch this for free on the WWE Network?" Oh, okay. Because it's been on the network for years, you know, and it had people back in the day like Seth, like the Shield came up there, the Wyatts came up there. It's like all these people I love now, and I'm like, "Man, I missed out years ago." But better late than never, I guess. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll start off by asking you. Uh, with, with the risk of sounding repetitive to people who are listening to the whole show, but I find this question is very valid and important and also very interesting. Um, how has NXT, I suppose as a a brand or, or an extension of WWE, how has NXT dealt with the, the, the coronavirus, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and, and how how do you think it has gone during this difficult time for NXT specifically? I think not just NXT, but all promotions have handled this pretty well. I mean, it's a worldwide pandemic. There's no real correct way to handle this. Everything was kind of done, you know, on a whim. I mean, we did no fans obviously takes away from the product, but NXT just kind of when you break down NXT, their main focus is they focus on the story and their in-ring product is always good. Sometimes it's a little bit over the top and there's too many kickouts of finishers and things of that nature that wrestling fans will complain about. But as far as how they handled it, they did really well for the situation we was in. I think all promotions did very well handling it through this time. And as things slowly open back up, at least over here in the United States, you see some fans there in the attendance. So that's nice to see some fan interaction. You have the Thunderdome, stuff like that. So they've done really well with it for the situation we're in as a world right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's it's unprecedented times, isn't it? No one, no one uh, really dealt with this sort of scenario on this level before in in a modern era, and and especially with regards to professional wrestling and trying to put on shows. Um, you mentioned the Thunderdome there. Obviously, I've seen the Thunderdome on Raw and SmackDown and WWE pay per views. Uh, with regards to NXT, I've seen a few episodes here and there. But I try to watch all the takeovers because I always just find the, the actual in-ring quality fantastic. Um, when I watched my first uh, episode or takeover of NXT since the pandemic hit and WWE were trying new things, I noticed that they, they effectively have their own, I suppose, version of the Thunderdome, don't they? Very similar with the screens, but it's kind of scaled down and it felt kind of more raw, more edgy. And I, I really liked the look of that. They do. They do a good job of keeping their brand. It's not like Raw, SmackDown, NXT all use the same thing. NXT's kind of kept separate from them, which we'll get into later in the show where that kind of bothers me. But they do have a certain they have their own look. They don't have like the actual Thunderdome, but they have a variation of it right now. They have I don't know what capacity they're actually at, but they do have some fans down around the ring as well right now. So so that's helping because fan inter. Fan interaction, especially with NXT, is so key because their fans are really passionate and really loud. So having some of them backs really helped compared to, you know, when they weren't allowed to have any. But since they're down in Florida where things have 
really surprisingly opened up here lately. It's a nice thing to see. Just hopefully we don't have any spreads or anything crazy like that happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If it, if it can be done, I suppose it's the same for, for everything, isn't it? If it can be done mm-hmm. well and safely, then, then great stuff. Because I agree, fans are so important to the experience of watching wrestling all over the board. And I, I'd agree with you as well with NXT, the, the, the bits that I've seen, the fan interactions are, are huge. Um, obviously, speaking of fan interactions and um, their, their reactions to what they see, uh, good or bad. I mean, let's let's discuss some of those good or bad moments. I guess for the last the last twelve months. Um, first of all, maybe we should start with um, a, a bit of a negative, and then get onto something uh, uh, more positive to finish. What have you not enjoyed this year with regards to NXT? Is there anything in particular that you think they could have done better? There is a couple things. There's a couple things they could have done better. And there's a couple things that were kind of out of their control. So we'll start okay. with, since you've been on RSH a few times, you already know I was not a huge fan of Charlotte going down to NXT and taking the strap off of Ripley at Romania. I feel like that really scaled back Ripley. She was on fire coming into that. It was a different thing, right? Charlotte won the Rumble. Ripley challenged her. Normally, it's the Royal Rumble winner <clears throat> who goes out and challenges whichever champion. So I thought that made Rhea look really strong, challenging Charlotte, who is the top woman wrestler in the whole world, not just WWE. But then they put the strap on her. She went down to NXT, which was you know due to the ratings war with AEW, and it didn't help the ratings whatsoever. They won, I think, one time with her down there. So it didn't really do much except, to me, hurt the development of Rhea Ripley. So that was like the big thing that that happened around WrestleMania. Romania is where she won the belt. So there in April, that really, I don't know. I don't see the need to do that. And then they had her on all three shows. I don't think anybody, not just Charlotte, but any wrestler, period, they're going to burn you out being on all three shows every week. I mean, that's just, it's, it's, it's just John factor. Like John Cena main event Raw. He main event SmackDown. He main event, like, we love you, John, but like, please take a night off. That's kind of how I got with Charlotte. Yeah, overexposure, isn't it? And it does yes. kind of... Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's been occasions where, especially when I was younger, where favourites of mine would appear a lot on television. And I would be crazy excited about that. Again, like I said, especially when I was younger. And I see it with my daughter as well now. When her favourites are on television a great deal. She's super excited. She seems more invested. Um, but then after a little while, like you said, you, you burn out that, that why factor. You burn out that must-see factor, I suppose, because you are getting to see them all the time. So I think you make a really good point there. Yeah, and she's a heel. <clears throat> I mean, granted, there are heels that are must-see, like MJF, Roman Reigns. Charlotte's never been that, though. She's just not like, oh my God, Charlotte's on Raw. I gotta turn, like, she's just never had that appeal to me and to a lot of people I know. And the ratings, I mean, the ratings are all you really have to go off of. There was no increase between her on NXT and her off. So the whole trial and error thing was a fail. It's unfortunate, but it's just kind of what happened. And it hurt Rhea Ripley a little bit in the process. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, again, I, I sort of keep up to date with as much as I can. Sometimes my um, my news comes from just seeing posts from people or articles <laughs> from people or discussions from people online on Twitter and so on. And you're talking back WrestleMania time. Obviously, we're now, you know, end of the year. 
people I still see talk about Rhea Ripley not being where she was pre-WrestleMania, even this many months later. Yeah, she looks like she's on the way up. <clears throat> right now, she's doing the putting everybody over on her way out kind of thing with NXT, it looks like. Okay. But she's on her way up. But yeah, she's the, the role she was on at the beginning of the year definitely got kicked back. She got the chair kicked out from under her, so to speak, when Charlotte came and took that title from her at Mania. Even though the match was great and she got put up, she got over without going over, but it still hurt her. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Again, I, I really enjoyed that match myself. I remember it, being it was great. It was the first match of Mania period, I think. I think it was the first match in night one. I mean, it was a great way to start. Just Charlotte could have lost that and still been perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, she's she's effectively Teflon, isn't she? A loss isn't going to harm her. So. No. I mean, a loss realistically doesn't hurt many people, depending on how it's done. But Charlotte, especially, she's she's effectively untouchable at this stage. Of the time. Correct. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you mentioned about things that they've done themselves that haven't worked, like the Rhea Ripley-Charlotte Flair title change? But you also mentioned about something that was out of their hands. So what were you angling at with that? Right, there's two things. So the Velveteen Dream, you know, that standout movement or stand-up, whatever it was called, came out where Velveteen Dream has... It? Was it Speak, speak Out, wasn't it? Is speak that Out, yeah. yeah. So he has personal problems off-screen, which isn't their faults, but he was seemed like he was on the road to superstardom. And then you lose him. And then you have Karrion Cross, who debuted this year, gets hurt. Bobby Fish got hurt multiple times. He's actually injured again. Finn Bauer gets hurt. Dexter Loomis got hurt. Kyle O'Reilly got hurt. So it seems like every time they did a big angle, that person ended up getting hurt. And then Keith Lee, who dropped the title. So Keith Lee drops the title to Cross. Goes up to Raw. At the same time, Riddle goes up to SmackDown. Now he's on Raw now, but he went to SmackDown initially. So NXT lost four or five really top guy, top tier people that they need at one time. I mean, you like I said, with Loomis, Bobby Fish multiple times, and with losing Lee. And Lee and Riddle, to me, moved up too soon. I mean, they're both doing well. I know Keith Lee's fighting for the uh, championship Monday. I mean, I'm not saying he's not going to do well. I just feel like another month or two wouldn't have. Him debuting at the Rumble would have been perfectly fine compared to what they're doing with him. So just injuries and, you know, the Veveteens off the uh, off TV personal problems. It's not really stuff they can control as far as Vince wants. Hey, I want these two guys. You can't tell him, no, it's his company. And then injuries, you can't really control them. But a lot. NXT does a good job of really the only thing that I had against them was the Charlotte thing. And I feel like that was a Vince call. Yeah, I, I agree. That would make sense. I mean, with regards to the, the injuries you list there, that, that's quite an extensive list, isn't it? Especially when you're talking the same area of the card, potentially sort of the higher up, maybe it not all, all main event main picture. They were all in the main event picture at these times of injuries. Oh, okay. O'Reilly and Bauer beat the crap out of each other at TakeOver 31. Yes. They both left injured. They're fighting next week at New Year's Evil. This is the first time these two guys are actually... Well, O'Reilly fought at uh, War Games, but Balor hasn't been in the ring since because he broke his jaw. So, I mean, these guys literally beat the crap out of each other. So, I just hope they take it down a notch. It's very hard-hitting action, but you don't need to put the other person out of action for a month. Tone it down a tad, and you can still have an effective match. 
yeah, this this is something I was I was going to approach them when I was sort of saying about the the amount of injuries there to prominent prominent players on the card, prom- prominent uh, talents they have. Is it down to the style? Because it is very stiff. It is very hard hitting. It is, and obviously the. Um, I, I suppose I'm going to sound very old school and potentially Jim Cornette esque here, but is it a situation where the art in wrestling is to make it look like you're hurting your opponent, but you're actually not? Maybe not being applied as well in NXT. Just playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just sort of trying to make the point: of, is is that a possibility with regards to how many injuries they're having? Yeah, I think that's probably what's going on. They make it. I'll, the selling in NXT compared to like the main roster. NXT is not selling. They're actually getting hit. That's the difference I see. A kick to the face, a kick to the face. You'll see on Raw or SmackDown, they'll punch him in the face and they obviously miss. But you'll hear the, and yep, he got hit in the face. NXT, I feel like they definitely need to tone it back for their own sake. And they can, like I said, they can still do that and effectively put on great matches but they cannot afford to keep having these people come up injured. I mean, some of these things weren't because of the style. Like Dexter Loomis is a big dude. I don't know why he's doing sentons outside that that can be avoided. He doesn't need to jump all over the middle rope out of the ring. He's a six foot six beast of a guy. He shouldn't be doing that. Finn Balor, let him do it all day long, but they, they definitely need to tone back the style a little bit. I think they kind of, if you remember Raw Underground, as brief as that was, I feel like NXT has that style, just a little more hardcore. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Um, I mean, moving away then from maybe maybe the more negative side there, even if NXT themselves potentially couldn't control some of the the, the unlucky things that happened this year. Um, let's start looking on more the, the sort of positive side. Is there anything in particular that has really stood out to you storyline-wise um, or, or particular shows? I mean, what have you, in general, just really enjoyed this year? And I know you're a big NXT fan, so I'm expecting there's going to be a few answers to this. So, so please, just elaborate as much as you like. Yeah, I summarized it down. Um, Finn Balor returning at the beginning of the year, which was nice to see because he wasn't being utilized on the main roster very well. So him going back down. Uh, Amber Moon just returned a couple months ago. It was nice yes. to see her her coming back from a potentially career-ending injury. It was really nice to see her just back in NXT where she wasn't kind of used right on the main roster either. So seeing her get to go back down there and work with, to me, the best women's division in professional wrestling, and it's not even close, is like a huge feather in the cap of NXT. Uh, Karrion Cross. I don't watch Impact, TNA, whatever it is anymore. Never did, never will probably. I watch too much wrestling as is. So I didn't know who this cross guy was. And the Vigenettes and the buildup for this guy, just I was I was so ready for him. They had me so amped up for a guy I didn't even I've never seen. He could walk into my apartment right now seven months ago and I would have not known who he was. But he debuts, then he wins the title. It's like that was a huge moment for them. That this dude has superstar written all over him. He's so good, I think, that Vince can't mess him up when he goes to the main roster. I'm hoping I'm right, but <laughs> you know how Vince goes. And then uh, Pat McAfee, I think, was like the out of nowhere. Because I remember he came to NXT. He's like an arrogant punter. You know, he's a former punter for the Colts. He does a lot of sports shows. 
but he had the best in-ring debut I've ever seen in my life watching wrestling for a person coming out, coming from the outside. Everybody was like Ronda. Pat McAfee blew Ronda, to me, out of the water. Ronda was in a tag team match with Kurt Angle, Triple H, and Stephanie. So she had people to kind of lean on. This was a straight-up one-on-one takeover match. And McAfee held up his end of the bargain. And at War Games, Pat McAfee was honestly kind of the breakout star of that match. So those are some things that just really stood out. The fact that NXT can just keep bringing in these, I mean, they're indie talent, right? These indie people carry on or people from other companies like Dexter Loomis came from impact. Cross came from impact. Pat McAfee came from ESPN and they utilize them correctly, get them over with the audience and make them relevant, which is something you don't always see on the main roster. But my, my the biggest moment for me, if I had to pick one is cross debuting. They build it up. I think that was one of the weeks they did win the rating war as well, because they built them up so well. Everybody was when, what's this guy going to do? And they had him, I think, he squashed Tommaso Ciampa, who, as you know, is like a legend down there. Ciampa yeah. is an XT. Just the build-up to him, it's been fantastic. And now you got him and Damian Priest next week. It's it's kind of the middle of the card kind of match, but it's the one that most people are expecting the most out of and looking forward to. So it just kind of shows what kind of talent he is. So his debut would definitely be the biggest moment for me this past year. Yeah, definitely. I was going to ask you uh, about Pat McAfee. Um, where do you see his ceiling being? Is he? I mean, he's very charismatic, um, and he's surpassed all expectations in the ring. Has he? For somebody of such little experience, where do you see his ceiling being? If he wanted to carry this on, is he someone who you could see on a Raw and a SmackDown? Is he someone you could see competing <laughs> at a WrestleMania? Um, how far can this guy go? I mean, from, from from outside looking in here, I didn't know who this guy was. I've got, up until literally a couple of weeks back, I've had no interest in in the NFL. I didn't know who this fellow was. I didn't know about his shows. It was when Adam Cole, um, these videos popped up online of Adam Cole and him arguing on his show that I realised this person even existed. So I've, I don't know anything about this man's background particularly. However, watching him in the ring, I've been very impressed. Where do you where do you think his ceiling is? He should never leave NXT unless okay. Vince gives him the free reign to do what he wants. He so another podcast I listen to uh, the Busted Open podcast with like Lagreca, Bully Ray, and them. He's been on that a few times, and they've asked him that. Do you think you'd fit on Raw or SmackDown? And he even said point blank, not if they're going to tell me what to do and say. Because right. Triple H gives him free reign. He's like, listen, hit this point, this point, and this point. How you get there, I really don't care. Just hit it. Vince doesn't do that. It's, you know, most of it's scripted. He trusts, you know, Bray Wyatt. Um, hell, Roman Reigns doesn't even write his own promos to this day still. Daniel Bryan. I mean, there's very limited people Vince trusts to do their own stuff up on the main roster. So he just, he needs to stick with NXT. If they ever start taking NXT more seriously as far as making it an actual third brand instead of just developmental then I could see him doing something with Raw and SmackDown. But for now, he fits NXT better. His ceiling for me would be the cocky manager that every now and then can wrestle a match. Him and Adam Cole, I still think, have one more match between them that they need to do. But I'd keep him as the arrogant. Because if you think about it, Oni Larkin and Danny Burch have kind of been lost in the shuffle for a good year now. You you, You have him interfere, have help them win the tag belts, 
Lark, Birch and Larkin are like must see every week now. Like the tag division, they're just he elevated it just by being an arrogant asshole. I mean, that's what he is, what his character is. So McAfee's very good for that brand. I just feel Vince would limit him on the main roster. No, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I've, I've enjoyed his work. However, it's structured, whether, you know, put together for him or hitting bullet points or however you, you explain it. I've really enjoyed the guy's work. I think he's been fantastic. And his match with Cole, I really enjoyed. Um, on that topic, I guess, matches that we've enjoyed, is there any particular contests throughout the year that have stood out to you above others? Is there any uh, matches that you can think of um, as potential match of the year candidates in NXT? And then I suppose carrying on from there, um, a potential show of the year. Yeah, uh, I had three matches, so from three to one. So Io Shirai and Candice LeRae at Halloween Havoc was three. Um, Women's division's fantastic there. Can't say enough about it. It's the best in wrestling. If you if you watch Raquel Gonzalez and Rhea Ripley from a few weeks ago and tell me this match wasn't that was like fourth or fifth on my list. That's how good these other matches were. There's just so much good talent in their women's division down there. But that was my three. Uh, the fatal four way between Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole, Finn Balor, and Johnny Gargano t- to determine the uh, champion when yeah. uh, Cross did get injured that they had on a random NXT. Yeah, so I watched that. That was fantastic. That was great. But my f- number one, it was Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit. It was different. It was hard hitting. It was the, the most unique laid out match that I've ever seen. And it delivered. These two guys can flat out not wrestle. This was a fight. Fight pit. They lived up to that name, which gets me excited for next week at New Year's Evil, where Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher are going back to the fight pit, which is t- looks like it's going to be Thatcher's match. You know how Taker had uh, Buried Alive's kind of Undertaker. Some wrestlers just have that match that's kind of their match. Looks like Thatcher. It looks like they're going to put Thatcher over and try to really push him to the moon on NXT. But uh, this match just delivered. It was Matt Riddle's farewell match. He put Thatcher over. And I think this match got like 45 minutes. And I was invested into all of it. And I don't have an attention span to pay attention to stuff anymore. The older I get, the more my attention span just, I don't have one. (laughs) It was easily match of the year. Okay. Okay. Brilliant stuff. Uh, 45 minutes as well is is quite, that's that's almost like New Japan levels of of matches. NXT gives a lot of time, which, you know, segues into the best event, which I thought was TakeOver 31, which we talked earlier. It's where Bauer and O'Reilly beat the crap out of each other and put each other on the shelf for a couple months. You had another match against Io Shirai and Candice LeRae, a Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano, Kushida and Velveteen Dream. That was a fantastic match. This is right after Velveteen got in trouble or, you know, he had heat for the standout movement or whatever it was. And they didn't bury the guy. That that was probably the best match of the whole night. And this it was the second match of the night. And then you had Santos Escobar versus Isaiah Swerve Scott for the cruiserweight title, and that was a fantastic match as well. I think that opened the show. So just every match, a takeover. It's what I like about takeover compared to main roster pay per views. They all get twenty to thirty minutes to work. They always have the appropriate amount of time. WWE will do this. There's twelve matches. You have two hours. You get a four-minute match, a three-minute match. They'll just randomly scrap matches or do something different. NXT has a really nice layout, and that's why most of, stru- most of TakeOvers 
people like them. As negative as the internet community is for wrestling fans, I'd say when takeovers are over and you get on Twitter or whatever social media you're on, people are saying how good they are compared to, man, they could have done this different or this. You're always going to have those few, but the takeovers do really well. This was between TakeOver 31 and the War Games. It just happened. But I tried to not be a prisoner of the moment because War Games just happened, and it's more fresh in my mind, and I'm going to stick with TakeOver 31 just because O'Reilly and Balor. See, that was another match of the year candidate. Just every time, I think as wrestling fans, we get spoiled by how many good matches. Like, you watch AEW. I've read about all the great matches that there are. I just don't have time to watch them all. I mean, there's so much good wrestling everywhere. Everybody just needs to step back, appreciate the fact we have it in a pandemic, and quit being so negative to each other. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, it, people can have different opinions and different tastes. If we all like the same thing, the world would be a very boring place, wouldn't it? There's yeah. lots, I, I watch AEW every week, and I've said it a million and one times on, on my show here. Um, I, I watch AEW every week, and the main starting point for that was that my little girl wanted to watch AEW, and that's become our thing. Um, I don't have time to watch NXT every week. I don't have time to watch Raw and SmackDown every week. However, I do make sure I watch the NXT takeovers for for the match quality you were just explained in there. So I, I 100% and I'm bored, on board with you with that. Um, as we sort of come to a close here then with our, our look back on 2020 NXT, um, is there anything else you feel needs to be mentioned? Anything else you want to shine a spotlight on in the last 12 months? And, and sort of close up with, um, what are you looking forward to or hoping happens in the next 12 months? All right. As far as what stood out, I pretty much covered it. The in-ring talent that they have. I mean, Thatcher, Dexter Loomis, Cameron Grimes, Priest, McAfee. I could sit here and name the whole roster. I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to... I don't want to leave the women out. I mean, you had Ripley, Candice LeRae, Raquel Gonzalez, Shotzi Blackheart. I mean, just the whole roster. When they get their time to shine, they do. But going into next year, I want them to, even though I believe Triple H when he says, hey, we're not really, we don't really care about the ratings, but Vince does. And ultimately, Vince is the ruler of all of this, no matter Triple H is in charge of NXT. Well, if Vince, you know, feels like it, he can do whatever he wants. <clears throat> I want them to – I wish they were more competitive in the ratings war to where Vince would take them as a legit brand. I think the fact that AEW beats them every week is why WWE, mainly Vince, doesn't take them seriously. Like for Survivor Series this year. Remember last year, NXT was a big part of it. They actually won Survivor Series. This yeah. year, they weren't even in the event, which I thought was a huge. I was very disappointed about that. So Vince obviously doesn't take this brand seriously. I hope that changes this year. And the only way I see that happening is as a wrestling fan, I don't care what the ratings are. If I turn on my TV tonight, like my sister's coming over, we're going to watch NXT first because I just always do. Then we're going to watch AEW. If I sit here for four hours and enjoy both shows, I don't care what Brian Alvarez's tweet is tomorrow about who got the higher rating. Yeah, I had fun watching wrestling for four hours, and that I'm just going to move on. So I hope fans and management for all these companies just kind of back off a little bit on that. And then um, I want to see Dexter Loomis, Pete Dunne, and Cameron Grimes either go to the main roster and be utilized correctly 
or be in the main event in NXT this year because you know Cross, um, Carry On Cross, Undisputed Era. You know Finn Balor is going to eventually move back up. That Damian Priest is going to move up here soon. I think I think they're already getting him ready, but they have to keep talent down there, right? I want them to utilize the talent correctly and still maintain the ability to bring in all this good talent from, you know, whether it be impact people that contracts expire or what, you know, the hot independent wrestlers. I want them to be able to keep doing what they're doing, but be taken more seriously. Cause if you actually put them on Monday night, I feel like it draw better than raw did. If you just took NXT, put it in the raw time slot, you took raw, you threw it in NXTs. I feel people would, People that aren't familiar with NXT would enjoy that more than Monday Night Raw. Okay, interesting. I I, I can see. I mean, I, I personally agree. I would rather watch NXT than Raw, um, but that's my own personal standpoint. And I suppose everyone in my household, my wife and my children, would probably agree as well. Um, but that's a very small snippet of the potential audience. Of course, we're talking just five people here. <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, from a personal standpoint, I agree with you. Actually, I, I've never actually given that much thought. But um, no, no, I, I see where you're coming from. I can, I, I would, I believe that could be very uh, potentially very interesting if it did happen. The in ring quality for a start would be much higher. Do you uh, remember when um, they got stuck in Saudi Arabia and NXT had to take over SmackDown? So they had Triple H have, you know, NXT was here. Yes. And, you know, Daniel Bryan don't go to Saudi. So they had NXT take over SmackDown. So you saw Matt Riddle, you seen Undisputed, you saw Adam Cole beat Daniel Bryan clean. And a lot of people were like, this is the best episode of SmackDown I've ever seen. And that's kind of when they got in, included in Survivor, yeah, Survivor Series, because that's kind of when they got hot. And then they won Survivor Series. You know, Keith Lee, that's when you got your first real glimpse at all these people. And look how well that turned out. Just imagine if they did it. Granted, Raw's been pretty bad the last year. Nobody can d- disagree with that. But if you put them in their prime, Raw's still their sh- the main show. The event, I mean, that's their that's their brand, right? Monday Night Raw is what you think of when you think of WWE outside of obviously WrestleMania. If you gave NXT that platform, I think it'd work even better than it did on SmackDown because that episode of SmackDown was my favorite of 2019. I think it won our award for best show last year on RSH. So. I just want to see him get a look. I want to see him get a shot And survivor series. I think was a huge disappointment that they didn't get that shot. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed the, the sort of three way brand battle, I suppose from the previous survivor series. So seeing them not involved this time round was quite a disappointment. Um, but all in all, a very positive outlook and a, a great little insight for me, especially who, who hasn't watched masses of NXT this year. Um, thank you very, very much, Josh, for for coming on and uh, talking us through the last 12 months with your your expert analysis and opinions there of, of the yellow brand. Could you um, very quickly just let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and about the excellent shows that, that, that you are part of and you produce yourself? Uh, yeah, so you can find me at whatthebuzz.com. So it's what-the-buzz.com. That's where all my articles. So I do uh, regularly scheduled hostilities, which Sai's been on a couple times. RSH for short. You can follow us at RSH Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, we're regularly scheduled hostilities on Facebook. Uh, me and my friend Chuck Winchester and my sister Yvonne Board. we do that every Thursday at 6 o'clock. 
I got the boardroom, which is my sports show. It's kind of a sports center show of sorts. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at the boardroom, D E B O R D room. And what the buzz at WTB.com. And it's spelled out D O T C O M. You can find all my articles. I write wrestling, football, pretty much whatever's going on in the world. I try to keep it relevant to what's trending. But you can find us there. Like I said, RSH every Thursday, 6 o'clock. Uh, we cover primarily just WWE. But on What the Buzz, we have shows that cover New Japan, AEW, whatever you guys like wrestling-wise, we have it. Brilliant stuff. I mean, like uh, RSH, like, as you said, I've been a guest on a few times. Listen to the show as often as I can. I really, really enjoy it. It's very insightful, sometimes argumentative between the three of you, which is always interesting for me as an outsider listening. <laughs> but there's always yes. an interesting perspective on on the wrestling product in general. And yes, what the buzz, the the, the new websites. Um, I'd strongly advise people to check that out with with Josh's articles, uh, Josh's writing, and and podcasts and so on. Again, Josh, thank you very, very much for coming on and sparing some time today to discuss NXT with me for my show. Um, and that concludes our SJP Wrestling Podcast look back on 2020. I appreciate there are some companies that people may want covered that uh, we haven't touched upon with the guests I've had today, um, simply because there's so much wrestling out there, it's difficult to do. Um, I will say, however, Impact Wrestling fans, don't fret. There is going to be something coming for you sometime in the first few months of the new year that I'm very excited about. However, all that is left for me to say right now is make sure in the coming year, throughout the hardship and so on, that we have already faced, as long as it continues that way, please be safe, please wear your masks, do everything that is asked of you to protect each other and be safe. Um, And I wish... Josh, you, your family, and all your loved ones, and all the listeners to the SJP Wrestling Podcast, an absolutely fantastic Happy New Year, and you'll hear from me in 2021. Thank you for listening. <laughs>